Welcome to another episode of Corona Cold Reads, my entertainment world's answer to social isolation. Every Tuesday and Saturday evening at 7 p.m. Eastern, we're getting together on YouTube Live to broadcast a cold reading of a Shakespeare play. Our actors run the gamut from um, non-professional actors to some of the biggest names in uh, North American classical theater. Um, But what we all have in common is just a really genuine love of Shakespeare and in these uncertain, really genuinely scary times, um, what makes us feel better is getting together and listening to the text and exploring these stories together. So hopefully these episodes will bring you comfort as well, and you'll enjoy them as much as we enjoyed recording them. Um, All of the videos are available on our YouTube channel, which you just search My Entertainment World, um, as well as on our website, myentertainmentworld.ca, where you can find the full cast lists, um, as well as lots of other articles and all of our other content that we have going up all the time. Um, also, you should follow us on social media, uh, Twitter and Instagram. It's both myentworld, my ENT world. Um, there you'll see, be able to see highlights from all of the recordings, um, as well as you can get the links to watch us live. Um, But we also have all sorts of content created just specifically for those platforms. In addition to, um, that's where you can find links to all of our website content as well, which is myentertainmentworld.ca. The videos do stay up after the live recordings. You can watch them after the fact, or you can catch the audio version in the podcast feed, um, which is you just search My Entertainment World in uh, iTunes, and there you'll find all of our different podcast series where we have the favorite series, the Shakespeare series, the nominee interview series, uh, Corona Cold Reads, Corona Movie Club, Season 1, Episode 1, and the My Entertainment World podcast. Um, Tons of different things happening. There's never been a better time to subscribe to our podcast. We have so much content happening right now. Um, but you're here for Corona Cold Reads for Shakespeare. Um, so these are cold reads for the most part. Uh, our actors n- did not have more than a day, maybe two, if they're lucky, um, to look over the text if they wanted to. Most of them didn't have the chance to. So it is just them sitting down and reading it cold. Um, so you'll you'll be able to hear that there will be some rocky moments and sometimes when we may have to pause and um, wonder why somebody's got their zoom on mute or you know how things happen. Um, we're all adjusting to these new technologies to cope with what we're going through right now. So I hope you enjoy. Okay, so we made it to the end of Henry the Sixth. So this is Henry the Sixth, Part Three. The major thing happening in this one is the rise of um, it's well, it's the War of the Roses. Um, so this is like the climax of what all of the Henrys have been leading to, and it's the big clash between the Yorks and the Lancasters. Um, for sort of overall Shakespeare fans or people familiar with the really famous plays, um, the most interesting thing to track here is the rise of Richard III, who is not yet Richard III. Um, I believe in this one he's called Richard of York, and then he's promoted to Gloucester, I think is correct. Um, but this one, this whole sequence is very confusing. There are like thousands of people diff- called Richard, and then there's various people called York and various people called Gloucester, and then... They all change titles all the time, and so then their names change uh, because people are referred to as their title. So it gets very confusing, um, but essentially uh, played by Mo Kamali, the character of Richard um, is having his ascent in this one, um, and really sort of you're seeing the beginnings of him as a plotting character that you know well as the future Richard III. 
Um, his brother Edward also figures prominently in this play. Um, for people familiar with Richard III, the play, which is a obviously of the sh- of the histories, probably the most famous. Not probably, definitely the most famous. Um, there are a lot of characters in that one who are kind of difficult to understand if you just watch that play in um, sort of in a vacuum. And Henry VI Part Three sets all of that up for you. So if you have any interest in Richard III, this is a good one. It's still, you know, it's a Henry VI, so it's confusing and it's opaque and all that kind of stuff. But um, it is the one to watch if you want, if you're really interested in that backstory of Edward, who Margaret is. We're introduced to Lady Grey in this one, who goes on to be the Elizabeth that you know from Richard III. Um, so there's a lot of really important that you'll hear the, the history of who Rutland is. You'll get to know Clarence, all that kind of stuff in this one. Um, so yeah, uh, here we have the return of Christopher Prentice as Henry the sixth in his final appearance, spoiler alert, but Henry the sixth doesn't make it out of Henry the sixth. Um, we have the return of Susan Bond as Margaret in her third of four plays in a row as that character, um, who is evolving really fascinatingly. Uh, Gabby Grice makes her debut as Elizabeth. Uh, who else do we have? Nick Nor Campos is Edward. Uh, so we've got some a really good cast for this one, and a lot of them will be recurring in the next play, which is Richard III. As always, we have our troubadours to help you out if you did not see or you just don't remember or you didn't understand uh, Henry VI Part Two, which who could blame you? It's probably the weirdest, most complicated one, in my opinion. Although Part One is also... Who knows? Anyway, part three is general consensus the best one, I think, of the Henry VI, and it's definitely very relevant and interesting, um, setting up the next play, which is Richard III. So I hope you enjoy it. Henry marries Magon Jew, invests in Suffolk through and through. The other lords do not approve. York's still eyeing his next move. Ooh. Ah. Gloucester's wife is getting greedy. He's worried that it makes her needy. He says, be cool, don't be a bitch. She says, screw you, and hire a witch. She's a sassy bitch. Uh-huh. The spirits have a lot to say, none of which goes Gloucester's way. Then York arrives, arrests her for treason, and declares it Plantagenet season. He's gonna kill them all! Oh no, that's his son. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. York's mad that sums got sent to France. He enlists more lords to join his dance. Maggie forced Gloucester to resign. Henry's kingdom is on the line. I see London, I see France, I see Dickie's underpants. Boxers are briefs. Dance belt. Oh. Gloucester's killed awaiting trial. Henry sends Suffolk to exile. He and Meg say their goodbye. His head is cut off at sea. Oh, pirates. Of course, pirates. Classic. York's plans are going smashingly. He's sent to Ireland with an army. He hires Jack Cade to rout the presence. Ple- peasants. Damn, this guy is so unpleasant. He is unpleasant. He's the worst. He lies and says that he is York's kin. They storm the Tower of London. Then Cliff arrives and tells the plebs that Kate is spinning a dangerous well. Like Charlotte. Yes, and then he runs away and is killed for stealing vegetables. Well, that's what you get for taking someone's greens, greens, and nothing but greens. So York departs with all his men, and Henry's on the run again. Until Somerset is thrown in jail, York won't get off this vengeful trail. 
happened to France? Oh, they lost that. Okay. St. Albans, York is ready to rock. Buckingham arrives to try and talk. He calms York down with a little lie that sums is locked up and set to die. Somerset, which makes old York real upset. They fight the battle until they've won, but the war of the roses has just begun. Roses. That was maybe my favorite yes. one so far. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Act one, scene one. London, the Parliament House. Alarm. Enter York, Edward, Richard, Norfolk, Montague, Warwick, and soldiers. I wonder how the king escaped our hands. Well, we pursued the horseman of the north. He slowly stole away and left his men. Whereat the great lord of Northumberland, whose warlike ears could never brook retreat, cheered up the drooping army and himself, Lord Clifford and Lord Stafford, all abreast, charged our main battle's front, and breaking in were by the swords of common soldiers slain. Lord Stafford's father, Duke of Buckingham, is either slain or wounded dangerously. I cleft his beaver with a downright blow, but this is true, father, behold his blood. And, brother, here's the Earl of Wiltshire's blood, whom I encountered as the battle was joined. Oh, speak thou for me, and tell them what I did. Throwing down Somerset's head. Oh, Richard hath best deserved of all my son. Sons, but is your grace dead, my lord of Somerset? Such hope hath all the line of John of Gaunt. Thus do I hope to shake King Henry's head. And so do I. Victorious Prince of York, before I see thee seated in that throne which now the House of Lancaster usurps, I vow by heaven these eyes shall never close. This is the palace of the fearful king, and this is the regal seat. Possess it, York, for this is thine and not King Henry's heirs. Assist me then, sweet Warwick, and I will, for hither we have broken in by force. We'll all assist you. He that flies shall die. Thanks, gentle Norfolk. Stay by me, my lords, and soldiers, stay and lodge by me this night. They go up. And when the king comes, offer no violence, unless he seek to thrust you out perforce. The queen this day here holds her parliament, but little thinks we shall be of her counsel. By words or blows, here, let us win our right. Armed as we are, let's stay within this house. The bloody parliament shall this be called, unless Plantagenet, Duke of York, be king, and bashful Henry deposed, whose cowardice hath made us bywords to our enemies. Then leave me not, my lords. Be resolute. I mean to take possession of my right. Neither the king nor he that loves him best, the proudest he that holds up Lancaster, dare stir a wing if Warwick shake his bells. I'll plant Plantagenet, root him up who dares. Resolve thee, Richard, claim the English crown. Flourish, enter King Henry VI, Clifford, Northumberland, Westmoreland, Exeter, and the rest. My lords, look where the sturdy rebel sits, even in the chair of state. Belike he means, backed by the power of Warwick, that false peer to aspire unto the crown and reign as king. Earl of Northumberland, he slew thy father. 
and thine, Lord Clifford, and you both have vowed revenge on him, his sons, his favorites, and his friends. If I be not, heavens be revenged on me. The hope thereof makes Clifford mourn and steal. What? Shall we suffer this? Let's pluck him down. My heart for anger burns. I cannot brook it. Be patient, gentle Earl of Westmoreland. Patience is for poltroons such as he. He durst not sit here had your father lived. My gracious lord, here in the parliament, let us assail the family of York. Well hast thou spoken, cousin, be it so. Ah, know you not the city favors them, and they have troops of soldiers at their beck? But when the duke is slain, they'll quickly fly. Far be the thought of this from Henry's heart, to make a shambles of the parliament house. Cousin of Exeter, frowns, words, and threats shall be the war that Henry means to use. Thou, factious Duke of York, descend my throne, and kneel for grace and mercy at my feet. I am thy sovereign. I am thine. For shame. Come down. He made thee Duke of York. T'was my inheritance, as the earldom was. Thy father was a traitor to the crown. Exeter, thou art a traitor to the crown in following this usurping Henry. Whom should he follow but his natural king? True, Clifford, and that's Richard, Duke of York. And shall, shall I stand, and thou sit in my throne? It must be. It must and shall be so. Content thyself. Be Duke of Lancaster. Let him be king. He is both king and Duke of Lancaster, and that the Lord of Westmoreland shall maintain. And Warwick shall disprove it. You forget that we are those which chased you from the field and slew your fathers and with colors spread marched through the city to the palace gates. Yes, Warwick, I remember it to my grief, and by his soul thou and thy house shall rue it. Plantagenet, of thee and these thy sons, thy kinsmen and thy friends, I'll have more lives than drops of blood were in my father's veins. Urge it no more. Lest that instead of words I send thee, Warwick, such a messenger as I as shall revenge his death before I stir. Poor Clifford, how I scorn his worthless threats. Will you we show our title to the crown? If not, our sword shall plead it in the field. What title hast thou, traitor, to the crown? Thy father was, as thou art, Duke of York. Thy grandfather, Roger Mortimer, Earl of March. I am the son of Henry V who made the Dauphin and the French to stoop and seized upon their towns and provinces. Talk not of France, that thou hast lost it all. The Lord Protector lost it, and not I. When I was crowned, I was but nine months old. You are old enough now, and yet methinks you lose. Father, tear the crown from the usurper's head. Sweet father, do so. Set it on your head. Good brother, as thou lovest and honorest arms, let's fight it out and not stand cavilling thus. Sound drums and trumpets, and the king will fly. Sons, peace. Peace, thou, and give King Henry leave to speak. Plantagenet shall speak first. Hear him, lords, and be you silent and attentive, too, for he that interrupts him shall not live. Think'st thou that I will leave my kingly throne, wherein my grandsire and my father sat? No, first shall war unpeople this my realm. I and their colors often born in France and now in England to our hearts great sorrow shall be my winding sheet. Why faint you, lords? My title's good and better far than his. 
Prove it, Henry, and thou shalt be king. Henry the Fourth, by conquest, got the crown. Twas by rebellion against his king. I know not what to say. My title's weak. Tell me, may not a king adopt an heir? What then? And if he may, then am I lawful king? For Richard, in the view of many lords, resigned the crown to Henry the Fourth, whose heir my father was, and I am his. He rose against him, being his sovereign, and made him to resign his crown perforce. Suppose, my lords, he did it unconstrained. Think you twere prejudicial to his crown? No, for he could not so resign the crown, but that the next heir should succeed in reign. Art thou against us, Duke of Exeter? His is the right, and therefore pardon me. Why whisper you, my lords, and answer not? My conscience tells me he is the lawful king. All will revolt from me and turn to him. Plantagenet, for all the claim thou layest, think not that Henry shall be so deposed. Deposed he shall be, in despite of all. Thou art deceived, tis not thy southern power, of Essex, Norfolk, Suffolk, nor of Kent, which makes thee thus presumptuous and proud, can set the duke up in despite of me. King Henry, be thy title right or wrong, Lord Clifford vows to fight in thy defense. May that ground gape and swallow me alive, where I shall kneel to him that slew my father. Oh, Clifford, how thy words revive my heart. Henry of Lancaster, resign thy crown. What mutter you, or what conspire you, lords? Do right unto this princely Duke of York, or I will fill the house with armed men, and over the chair of state, where now he sits, write up his title with usurping blood. He stamps with his foot, and soldiers show themselves. My lord of Warwick, hear me but one word. Let me, for this my lifetime, reign as king. Confirm the crown to me and to mine heirs, and thou shalt reign in quiet while thou livest. I am content. Richard Plantagenet, enjoy the kingdom after my decease. What wrong is this unto the prince your son? What good is this to England and himself? Face fearful and despairing, Henry. How hast thou injured both thyself and us? I cannot stay to hear these articles. Nor I. Come, cousin, let us tell the queen these news. Farewell, faint-hearted and degenerate king, in whose cold blood no spark of honor bides. Be thou a prey unto the house of York, and die in bands for this unmanly deed. In dreadful war mayst thou be overcome, or live in peace abandoned and despised. Exit Northumberland, Clifford, and Westmoreland. Turn this way, Henry, and regard them not. They seek revenge, and therefore will not yield. Ah, Exeter. Why should you sigh, my lord? Not for myself, Lord Warwick, but my son, whom I unnaturally shall disinherit. But be it as it may, I here entail the crown to thee and to thine heirs forever. Conditionally, that thou here take an oath to cease this civil war, and whilst I live, to honor me as thy king and sovereign, and neither by treason nor hostility to seek to put me down and reign thyself 
This oath I willingly take and will perform. Long live King Henry. Plantagenet, embrace him. And long live thou and these thy forward sons. Now York and Lancaster are reconciled. Accursed be he that seeks to make them foes. Senate, here they come down. Farewell, my gracious lord, all to my castle. And I'll keep London with my soldiers. And I to Norfolk with my followers. And I unto the sea from whence I came. Exunt York, Edward, Edmund, George, Richard, Warwick, Norfolk, Montague, their soldiers and attendants. And I, with grief and sorrow, to the court. Enter Queen Margaret and Prince Edward. Here comes the queen, whose looks beray her anger. I'll, uh, I'll steal away. Exeter, so will I. Nay, go not from me. I will follow thee. Be patient, gentle queen, and I will who can stay. Be, who can be patient in such extremes? A wretched man. Would that I had died a maid and never seen thee, never borne thee a son, seeing thou hast proved so unnatural a father. Hath he deserved to lose his birthright thus? Hadst thou but loved him half so well as I, or felt that pain which I did for him once, or nourished him as I did with my blood, that wouldst have left thy dearest heart blood there, rather than have that savage duke gone heir and disinherited thine only son. Father, you cannot disinherit me. If you be king, why should not I succeed? Pardon me, Margaret. Pardon me, sweet son. The Earl of Warwick and the Duke enforced me. Enforceth thee? Art thou king, and will be forced? I shame to hear thee speak. Ah, timorous wretch, thou hast undone thyself, thy son, and me, and given unto the house of York such head as thou shalt reign, but by their sufferance, to entail him and his heirs unto the crown. What is it? What is it? But to make thy sepulchre creep into it far before thy time. Warwick is chancellor, and the lord of Calais. Stern Falconbridge commands the narrow seas. The duke is made protector of the realm, and yet shalt thou be safe. Such safety finds the trembling lamb environed with wolves. Had I been there, which am a silly woman, the soldiers should have tossed me on their pikes before I would have granted to that act. But thou preferst thy life before thine honor. And seeing thou dost, I here divorce myself both from thy table, Henry, and thy bed, until that act of parliament be repealed, whereby my son is disinherited. The northern lords that have forsworn thy colors will follow mine, if once they see them spread, and spread they shall, to thy foul disgrace and utter ruin of the house of York. Thus do I leave thee. Come, son, let's away. Our army is ready. Come, we'll after them. Stay, gentle Margaret, and hear me speak. Thou hast spoke too much already. Get thee gone. Gentle son, Edward, thou wilt stay with me. I to be murdered by his enemies. When I return with victory from the field, I'll see your grace. Till then, I'll follow her. Come, son, away. We may not linger thus. Exunt Queen Margaret and Prince Edward. Poor queen, how love to me and to her son hath made her break out into terms of rage. Revenged may she be on that hateful duke whose haughty spirit, winged with desire, will cost my crown, and like an empty eagle, tires on the flesh of me and my own son. The loss of those three lords torments my heart. I'll write unto them and entreat them fair. Come, cousin, you shall be the messenger. And I, I hope shall reconcile them all. Exit. 
Scene two, Sandal Castle, and to Richard, Edward, and Montague. Mother, though I be youngest, give me leave. Brother, I'm mute. Sorry. Sorry about that. So, no, I can better play the orator. But I have reason strong and forcible. Enter York. Why? How now, sons and brother? At a strife. What is your quarrel? How begin it first? No quarrel, but a slight contention. About what? About that which concerns your grace and us. The crown of England, father, which is yours. Mine boy, not till King Henry be dead. Your right depends not on his life or death. Now you are heir. Therefore, enjoy it now. By giving the house of Lancaster leave to breathe, it will outrun you, father, in the end. I took an oath that he should quietly reign. But for a kingdom, any oath may be broken. I would break a thousand oaths to reign one year. No. God forbid your grace should be forsworn. I shall be if I claim by open war. I'll prove the contrary if you'll hear me speak. Thou canst not, son. It is impossible. An oath is of no moment, being not took before a true and lawful magistrate that hath authority over him that swears. Henry had none, but did usurp the place. Then seeing t'was he that made you to dispose, your oath, my lord, is vain and frivolous. Therefore, to arms. And father, do but think how sweet a thing it is to wear a crown within whose circuit is Elysium, and all that poet fain of bliss and joy. Why do we finger thus? I cannot rest until the white rose that I wear be dyed, even in the lukewarm blood of Henry's heart. Richard, enough. I will be king or die. Brother, thou shalt to London presently, and wet on Warwick to this enterprise. Thou, Richard, Richard, shall to the Duke of Norfolk, and tell him privily of our intent. You, Edward, shall unto my Lord Cobham, with whom the Kentish men will willingly rise. In them I trust, for they are soldiers, witty, courteous, liberal, full of spirit. Well, you are thus employed. What resteth more but that I seek occasion how to rise, and yet the king not privy to my drift, nor any of the house of Lancaster? Enter a messenger. But stay. What news? Why comes thou in such in such post? The queen, with all the northern earls and lords, intend here to besiege you in your castle. She is hard by with twenty thousand men, and therefore fortify your hold, my lord. Aye, with my sword. What? Thinkst thou that we fear them? Edward and Richard, you shall stay with me. My brother Montague shall post to London. Let noble Warwick, Cobham, and the rest, whom we have left protectors of the king, with powerful policy, strengthen themselves, and trust not simple Henry nor his oaths. Brother, I go. I'll win them, fear it not. And thus most humbly I do take my leave. Exit. Enter John Mortimer and Hugh Mortimer. Sir John and Sir Hugh Mortimer, mine uncles, you are come to Sandal in a happy hour. The army of the queen mean to besiege us. She shall not need. We'll meet her in the field. What? With five thousand men? Aye, with five hundred, father, for a need. A woman's general, what should we fear? A march afar off. 
Hear their drums. Let's set our men in order and issue forth and bid them battle straight. Five men to twenty. Though the odds be great, I doubt not, uncle, of our victory. Many a battle have I won in France, when, as the enemy hath been ten to one, why should I not now have the like success? Alarum exeunt. Scene three, field of battle betwixt Sandal Castle and Wakefield. Alarums enter Rutland and his tutor. Oh, whither shall I fly to escape their hands? Ah, tutor, look where bloody Clifford comes. Enter Clifford and soldiers. Chaplain, away. Thy priesthood saves thy life. As for the brat of this accursed duke, whose father slew my father, he shall die. And I, my lord, will bear him company. Soldiers, away with him. Ah, Clifford, murder not this innocent child, lest thou be hated both of God and man. Exit dragged off by soldiers. How now? Is he dead already, or is it fear that makes him close his eyes? I'll open them. Oh, so looks the pent-up lion, or the wretch that trembles under his devouring paws. And so he walks, insulting or his prey, and so he comes to rend his limbs asunder. Ah, gentle Clifford, kill me with thy sword, and not with such a cruel, threatening look. Sweet Clifford, hear me speak before I die. I am too mean a subject for thy wrath. Be thou revenged on men, let me live. In vain thou speakest, poor boy. My father's blood hath stopped the passage where thy words should enter. Then let my father's blood open it again. He is a man, and Clifford cope with him. Had thy brethren here, their lives and thine were not revenge sufficient for me. No, if I digged up thy forefathers' graves and hung their rotten coffins up in chains, it could not slake mine ire nor ease my heart. The sight of any of the house of York is a fury to torment my soul until I root out their accursed line and leave not one alive. I live in hell. Therefore, lifting his hand. Oh, let me pray before I take my death. To thee, I pray, sweet Clifford, pity me. Such pity as my rapier's point affords. I never did thee harm. Why wilt thou slay me? Thy father hath. But twas ere I was born. Thou hast one son. For his sake, pity me, lest in revenge thereof, sith God is just, he be as miserably slain as I. Ah, let me live in prison all my days, and when I give occasion of offense, then let me die. For now thou hast no cause. No cause. Thy father slew my father, therefore die. Dabs him. Oh, di facia laudi summa sit ista tue. Dies. Plantagenet. I come, Plantagenet, and this thy son's blood cleaving to my blade shall rust upon my weapon, till thy blood congealed with his do make me wipe off both. Exit. Alarum enter, er, scene four, another part of the field, Alarum enter York. The army of the queen hath got the field. My uncles both are slain in rescuing me, and all my followers to the eager foe turn back and fly like ships before the wind or lambs pursued by hunger-starved wolves. My sons, God knows what hath bechanced them, but this I know. They have demeaned themselves like men born to renown by life or death, 
Three times did Richard make a lane to me and thrice cried, Courage, father, fight it out. And full as oft came Edward to my side with purple falchion painted to the hilt in blood of those that had encountered him. And when the hardiest warriors did retire, and when the, uh, and when the hardiest warriors did retire, Richard cried, Charge and give no foot of ground, and cried, A crown or else a glorious tomb, a scepter or an earthly spelker. With this we charged again, but out, alas, we bogged again, and as I have seen a swan with bootless labor swim against the tide and spent her strength with overmatching waves. Short alarm within. Ah, uh, hark! The fatal followers do pursue, and I am faint and cannot fly for their, fu- to their fly their fury. And were I strong, I would not shun their fury. The sands are numbered that make up my life. Here I must I stay, and here my life must end. Enter Queen Margaret Clifford, Northumberland, Prince Edward, and soldiers. Come, bloody Clifford, rough, rough Northumberland. I dare you, your quenchless fury to more rage. I am your butt, and I abide your shot. Yield to our mercy, proud Plantagenet. Aye, to such mercy as his ruthless arm with downright payment showed unto my father. Now Phaeton hath tumbled from his car and made an evening at the noontide prick. My ashes, as the phoenix, may bring forth a bird that will revenge upon you all. And in that hope I throw mine eyes to heaven, scorning whatever you can afflict me with. Why come you not? What? Multitudes and fear? So cowards fight when they can fly no further. So do so doves do peck the falcon's piercing talons. So desperate thieves, all hopeless of their lives, breathe out incent- invectives against the officers. Oh, Clifford, but bethink thee once again, and in thy thought or or on my former time. And if thou canst, for blushing, view this face and bite thy tongue that slanders him with cowardice, whose frown hath made thee faint and fly ere this. I will not bandy with thee word for word, but buckle with thee blows twice two for for one. Hold, valiant Clifford. For a thousand causes I would prolong a while the traitor's life. Wrath makes him deaf. Speak thou, Northumberland. Hold, Clifford. Do not honor him so much to prick thy finger, though to wound his heart. What valor were it when a cur doth grin for one to thrust his hand between his teeth when he might spurn him with his foot away? It is war's prize to take all vantages, and ten to one is no impeach of valor. Then they lay hands on York, who struggles. Aye, aye, so strives the woodcock with the gin. So doth the coney struggle in the net. So triumph thieves upon their conquered booty, so true men yield with robbers so overmatched. What would your grace have done unto him now? Brave warriors, Clifford and Northumberland, come. Make him stand upon this molehill here that rotted mountains with outstretched arms, yet parted but the shadow with, it, with his hand. What? Was it you that would be England's king? Was it you that reveled in our parliament and made a preachment of your high descent? Where are your massive sons to back you now? The wanton Edward and the lusty George? And where's that valiant crookback prodigy, Dicky, your boy, that with his grumbling voice was wont to cheer his dad in mutinies? Or, with the rest, where is your darling Rutland? Look, York, I stained this napkin with the blood that valiant Clifford, with his rapier's point, made issue from the bosom of the boy. And if thine eyes can water for his death, 
I give thee this to dry thy cheeks withal. Alas, poor York, but that I hate thee deadly, I should lament thy miserable state. I prithee, grieve to make me merry, York. What, hath thy fiery heart so parched thine entrails that not a tear can fall for Rutland's death? Why art thou patient, man? Thou shouldst be mad, and I, to make thee mad, do mock thee thus. Stand brave and fret, that I may sing and dance. Thou wouldst be feed, I see, to, to make me sport. York cannot speak unless he wear a crown. A crown for York, and lords, bow low to him. Hold you his hands while I do set it on. Putting a paper crown on his head. Ay, Mary, sir, now looks he like a king. Ay, this is he that took King Henry's chair, and this is he that, and this is he was his adopted heir. But how is it that this great Plantagenet is crowned so soon and broke his solemn oath? As I bethink me, you should not be king till our King Henry shook hands with death. And will you pale your head in Henry's glory and rob his temples of the diadem now in his life against your holy oath? Oh, tis a fault too unpardonable. Off with the crown and with the crown his head. And whilst we breathe, take time to do him dead. That is my office for my father's sake. Nay, stay. Let's hear the orisons he makes. She-wolf of France, but worse than the wolves of France, whose tongue more poisons than the adder's tooth. How ill-beseeming is it in thy sex to triumph like an Amazonian troll upon their woes whom fortune captivates. But that thy face is vizard-like, unchanging, made impudent with use of evil deeds, I would say, proud queen, to make thee blush. To tell thee whence thou camest, of whom derived were shame enough to shame thee, wert thou not shameless. Thy father bears the type of King Naples, of both the Sicils and Jerusalem, yet not so wealthy as an Englishman, English yeoman hath that poor monarch taught thee to insult. It needs not, nor it boots thee not, proud queen, unless the adage must be verified that beggars mounted run their horse to death, tis Beauty that doth oft make women proud, but God, he knows thy share thereof is small. Tis virtue that doth make them most admired, the contrary doth make thee wondered at. Tis government that makes them seem divine, the want thereof makes thee abominable. Thou art as opposite to every good as the antipodes are unto us, or as the self to the Septrion, or, or tiger's heart wrapped in a woman's hide. How couldst thou drain the lifeblood of the child to bid the father wipe his eyes withal and yet be seen to bear a woman's face? Women are soft, mild, pitiful, and flexible. Now, stern, obdurate, flinty, rough, remorseless, bidst thou me rage? Why, now, thou hast thy wish. Wouldst have me weep? Why, now thou hast thy will. For raging wind blows up incessant showers, and when the rage, lay, rage lays, the rain begins. These tears are my sweet rustlings obsequies, and every drop cries vengeance for his death against thee, fell Clifford, and thee, false Frenchwoman. Beshrew me, but his passion moves me so that hardly can I check my eyes from tears. The face of his, the hungry cannibals, would not have touched, would not have stained with blood. But you are more inhuman, more inexecrable, oh, ten times more than tigers of Hyrcania. See, Ruth is queen, a hapless father's tears. This cloth 
thou dipst in blood of my sweet boy, and I with tears do wash the blood away. Keep thou the napkin, and go boast of this. And if thou tell'st the heavy story right upon my soul, the hearers will shed tears. Yea, even my foes will shed fast falling tears, and say, Alas, it was a piteous deed. There, take the crown, and with the crown my curse. And in thy need such comfort come to thee, as now I reap at thy too cruel hand. Hard-hearted Clifford, take me from the world, my soul to heaven, my blood upon your heads. Had he been slaughterman to all my kin, I should not for but my life weep with him, to see how inly sorrow grips his soul. What, weeping ripe, my lord Northumberland? Think but upon the wrong he did us all, and that will quickly dry thy melting tears. Here's for my oath. Here's for my father's death. Stabbing him. And here's to right our gentle-hearted king. Stabbing him. <laughs> Open thy gate of mercy, gracious God. My soul flies through these wounds to seek out thee. Dies. Off with his head, and set it on York gates, so York may overlook the town of York. Flourish, exunt. Act 2, scene 1, a plain near Mortimer's Cross in Her- Her- Herefordshire. Her- Sorry, Herefordshire, I don't know. A march, enter Edward, Richard, and their power. I wonder, I wonder how our princely father escaped, or whether he be escaped away or no from Clifford's and Northumberland's pursuit. Had he been tain, we should have heard the news. Had he been slain, we should have heard the news. Or had he escaped, methinks we should have heard the happy tidings of his good escape. How fares my brother? Why is he so sad? I cannot joy until I be resolved where our right valiant father is become. I saw him in the battle range about, and watched him how he singled Clifford forth. Methought he bore him in the thickest troop, as doth a lion in a herd of neat, or as a bear encompassed round with dogs, who having pinched a few and made them cry, the rest stand all aloof and bark at him. So fared our father with his enemies. So fled his enemies, my warlike father. Methinks tis prize enough to be his son. See how the mornings ope her, opes her old gir, sorry, opes her golden gates and takes her farewell of, of the glorious sun. How well resembles it the prime of youth, trimmed like a yonker, prancing to his love. Dazzle mine eyes, or do I see three sons? Three glorious sons. Each one a perfect sun, not separated with the racking clouds, but severed in a pale, clear-shining sky. See, see, they join, embrace, and seem to kiss as if they vowed some league inviolable. Now are they but one lamp, one light, one sun. In this, the heaven figures some event. Tis wondrous, strange, the like yet never heard of. I think it cites us, brothers, to the field, that we, the sons of brave Plantagenet, each one already blazing by our meads, should notwithstanding join our lights together and overshine the earth as this the world. Whate'er it bodes, henceforward will I bear upon my target three fair shining suns. Nay, bear three daughters. By your leave, (laughs) I speak it. 
you love the breeder better than the male. <laughs> but what art thou, whose heavy looks foretell some dreadful story hanging on thy tongue? Oh, one that was a woeful looker-on when as the noble Duke of York was slain, your princely father and my loving lord. Oh, speak, speak no more, for I have heard too much. Mm, say how he died, for I will hear it all. Environed he was with many foes, and stood against them as the hope of Troy against the Greeks that would have entered Troy. But Hercules himself must yield to odds, and many strokes, though with a little axe, hew down and fell the hardest timbered oak. By many hands, your father was subdued, but only slaughtered by the ireful arm of unrelenting Clifford and the queen, who crowned the gracious duke in high despite, in high despite laughed in his face. And when with grief he wept, the ruthless queen gave him to dry his cheeks a napkin steeped in the harmless blood of sweet young Rutland by rough Clifford's slain. And after many scorns, many foul taunts, they took his head and on the gates of York they set the same and there it doth remain, the saddest spectacle that I e'er I viewed. Sweet Duke of York, our prop to lean upon. Now thou art gone, and we have no staff, no stay. O Clifford, boisterous Clifford, thou hast slain the flower of Europe for his chivalry, and treacherously hast thou vanquished him. From hand to hand he would have vanquished thee. Now my soul's palace has become a prison. Uh, Would she break from hence, and this, my body, might in the ground be closed up in rest. For never henceforth shall I joy again. Never. Oh, never shall I see more joy. I cannot weep. For all my body's moisture scarce serves to quench my furnace-burning heart. Nor can my tongue unload my heart's great burthen. For selfsame wind that I should speak withal is kindling coals that fires all my breast and burns me up with flames that tears would would quench. To weep is to make less the depth of grief. Tears then for babes, foes and revenge for me. Richard, I bear thy name. I'll venge thy death or die renowned by attempting it. His name, that valiant duke hath left with thee. His dukedom and his chair with me is left. Nay, if thou be that princely eagle's bird, show thy descent by gazing against the sun. For chair and dukedom, throne and kingdom, say either that is thine or else thou wert not his. March, enter Warwick Montague and their army. How now, fair lords? What fair? What news abroad? Great lord of Warwick, if we should recount our baleful news and at each word's deliverance, Stab poniards in our flesh till all were told. The words would add more anguish than the wounds. Valiant Lord, the Duke of Yornis of York of York is slain. Oh, Warwick. Warwick, that Plantagenet which held thee dearly as his soul's redemption is by the stern Lord Clifford done to death. Ten days ago I drowned these news in tears. 
And now, to add more measure to your woes, I come to tell you things that then befallen. After the bloody fray at Wakefield fought, where your brave father breathed his last, latest gasp, tidings as swiftly as the post could run were brought me of your loss and his depart. I, then in London, keeper of the king, mustered my soldiers, gathered flocks of friends, and very well appointed, as I thought, marched toward St. Albans to intercept the queen, bearing the king in my behalf along, for by my scouts I was advertised that she was coming with the full intent to dash our late decree in Parliament, touching King Henry's oath and your succession. Short tale to make, we at St. Albans met, our battles joined, and both sides fiercely fought. But whether it was the coldness of the king who looked full gently on his warlike queen that robbed my soldiers of their heated spleen, or whether it was report of her success, or more than common fear of Clifford's rigor, who thunders to his captain's blood and death, I cannot judge. But to conclude with truth, their weapons like to lightning came and went. Our soldiers, like the night owl's lazy flight, or like an idle thresher with a flail, fell gently down as if they struck their friends. I cheered them up with justice of our cause, with promise of high pay and great rewards, but all in vain. They had no heart to fight, and we in them no hope to win the day. So that we fled the king unto the queen, Lord George your brother, Norfolk and myself, in haste, post haste, are come to join with you. For in the marches here we heard you were, making another head to fight again. Where is the Duke of Norfolk, gentle Warwick? And when came George from Burgundy to England? Some six miles off the Duke is with the soldiers. And for your brother, he was lately sent from your kind aunt, Duchess of Burgundy, with aid of soldiers to this needful war. Was odds, belike, when valiant Warwick fled. Oft have I heard his praises in pursuit, but ne'er till now his scandal of retire. Nor now my scandal, Richard, dost thou hear. For thou shalt know this strong right hand of mine can pluck the diadem from faint Henry's head and wring the awful scepter from his fist. Were he as famous and as bold in war as he is famed for mildness, peace, and prayer. I know it well, Lord Warwick. Blame me not. Tis love I bear thy glories makes me speak. But in this troublous time, what's to be done? Shall we go throw away our coats of steel and wrap our bodies in black morning gowns, numbering our Marys with our beads? Or shall we, on the helmets of our foes, tell our devotion with revengeful arms? If for the last, say I and to it, lords. Why, therefore, Warwick came to seek you out. And therefore comes my brother Montague. Attend me, lords. The proud, insulting queen with Clifford and the hot Northumberland, and of their feather many more proud birds have wrought the easy-melting king like wax. He swore consent to your succession, his oath enrolled in the parliament, and now to London all the crew are gone to frustrate both his oath and what beside may make against the house of Lancaster. Their power, I think, is 30,000 strong. Now, if the help of Norfolk and myself, with all the friends that thou, brave Earl of March, amongst the loving Welshmen canst procure, will but amount to five and twenty thousand. Why, via to London will we march amain, and once again bestride our foaming steeds, and once again cry charge upon our foes, but never once again turn back and fly. Aye, now methinks I hear great Warwick speak. 
Never may he live to see a shining, a sunshine day that cries, retire, if Warwick bid him stay. Lord Warwick, on thy shoulder shall I lean, and when thou failest, as God forbid the hour, must Edward fall, which peril heaven forfend. No longer Earl of March, but Duke of York. The next degree is England's royal throne, for King of England shalt thou be proclaimed in every borough as we pass along. And he that throws not up his cap for joy shall for the fault make forfeit of his head. King Edward, valiant Richard, Montague, stay we no longer dreaming of renown, but sound the trumpets and about our task. Then, Clifford, were thy heart as hard as steel as thou hast shown it flinty by thy deeds, I come to pierce it or to give thee mine. Then strike up drums. God and St. George for us. Enter a messenger. How now? What news? The Duke of Norfolk sends you word by me. The queen is coming, and with a puissant host, and craves your company for speedy counsel. Why, then it sorts, brave warriors. Let's away. Exit. Scene two before York. Enter Flour- Flourish. Enter King Henry the Sixth, Queen Margaret, Prince Edward, Clifford, and Northumberland with drum and trumpets. Welcome, my lord, to this brave town of York. Yonder's the head of that arch enemy that sought to be encompassed with your crown. Doth not the object cheer your heart, my lord? Aye, as the rocks cheer them that fear their wreck. To see this sight, it irks my very soul. Withhold revenge, dear God, tis not my fault, nor wittingly have I infringed my vow. My gracious liege, this too much lenity and harmful pity must be laid aside. To whom do lions cast their gentle looks? Not to the beast that would usurp their den. Whose hand is that the forest bear doth lick? Not his that spoils her young before her face. Who scapes the lurking serpent's mortal sting? Not he that sets his foot upon her back. The smallest worm will turn being trodden on, and doves will peck in safeguard of their brood. Ambitious York doth level at thy crown, thou smiling while he knit his angry brows. He but a duke would have his son a king, and raise his issue like a loving sire. Thou, being a king, blessed with a goodly son, didst yield consent to disinherit him, which argued thee a most unloving father. Unreasonable creatures feed their young, and and though men's face be fearful to their eyes, yet in protection of their tender ones who hath not seen them, even with those wings, which sometime they have used with fearful flight, make war with him that climbed unto their nest, offer their own lives in their young's defense. For shame, my liege, make them your precedent. Were it not pity that this goodly boy should lose his birthright by his father's fault and long hereafter say unto his child what my great-grandfather and his grandsire got my careless father fondly gave away. And what shame were this? Look on the boy and let his manly face, which promiseth successful fortune, steal thy melting heart to hold thine own and leave thine own with him. Full well. Hath Clifford played the orator, infirming arguments of mighty force? But Clifford, tell me, didst thou never hear that things ill-got had ever bad success? And happy always was it for that son whose father, for his hoarding, went to hell? 
I'll leave my son, my virtuous deeds behind. And would my father had left me no more. For all the rest is held at such a rate as brings a thousandfold more care to keep than in possession and jot of pleasure. Ah, cousin York, would thy best friends did know how it doth grieve me that thy head is here. My lord, cheer up your spirits. Our foes are nigh, and this soft courage makes your followers faint. You promised knighthood to our forward son. Unsheathe your sword and dub him presently. Edward, kneel down. Edward Plantagenet, arise a knight, and learn this lesson. Draw thy sword in right. Mel? Prince Edward. I know. My gracious father, by your knightly leave, I'll draw it as a parent to the crown, and in that quarrel use it to the death. Why, that is spoken like a toward prince. Enter a messenger. Royal commanders, be in readiness, for with a band of 30,000 men comes Warwick, backing of the Duke of York, and in the towns as they do march along proclaims him king, and many fly to him. Terrain your battle, for they are at hand. I would your highness would depart the field. The queen hath best success when you are absent. Aye, good my lord, and leave us to our fortune. Why, that's my fortune too. Therefore I'll stay. Be it with resolution then to fight. My royal father, cheer these noble lords and hearten those that fight in your defense. Unsheath your sword, good father, cry St. George. March. Enter Edward, George, Richard, Warwick, Norfolk, Montague, and soldiers. Now, perjured Henry, wilt thou kneel for grace and set thy diadem upon my head, or by the mortal fortune of the field? Go rate thy minions, proud, insulting boy. Becomes it thee to be thus bold in terms before thy sovereign and thy lawful king? I am his king and he should bow his knee. I was adopted heir by his consent, since when his oath is broke. For as I hear, you that are king, though he do wear the crown, have caused him by new act of parliament to blot out me and put his own son in. And reason, too, who should succeed the father but the son. Are you there, butcher? Oh, I cannot speak. Ay, Crookback, here I stand to answer thee, or any he the proudest of thy sort. T'was you that killed young Rutland, was it not? Ay, and old York, and yet not satisfied. For God's sake, lords, give signal to the fight. What sayest thou, Henry, wilt thou yield the crown? Well, how now, long-tongued Warwick, dare you speak? When you and I met at St. Albans last, your legs did better service than your hands. Then t'was my turn to fly, and now tis thine. You said so much before, and yet you fled. T'was not your valor, Clifford, drove me thence. No, nor your manhood that durst make you stay. Northumberland, I hold thee reverently. Break off the parley, for scarce I can refrain the execution of my big swollen heart upon that Clifford, that cruel child-killer. I slew thy father. Calls thou him a child? Aye, 
like a dastard and a treacherous coward, as thou didst kill our tender brother Rutland. But ere sunset, I'll make thee curse the deed. Have done with words, my lords, and hear me speak. Defy them, then, or else hold close thy lips. I prithee, give no limits to my tongue. I am a king and privileged to speak. My liege, the wound that bred this meeting here cannot be cured by words. Therefore, be still. Then, executioner, unsheath thy sword. By him that made us all, I am resolved that Clifford's manhood lies upon his tongue. Say, Henry, shall I have my right or no? A thousand men have broke their fasts today that ne'er shall dine unless thou yield the crown. If thou deny their blood upon thy head, for York injustice puts his armor on. If that be right which Warwick says is right, there is no wrong, but everything is right. Whoever got thee, there thy mother stands. For well I wot, thou hast my mother's tongue. But thou art neither like thy thy sire nor dam, but like a foul, misshapen stigmatic, marked by the destinies to be avoided, as venom toads or lizards' dreadful stings. Iron of Naples hid with English guilt, whose father bears the title of a king, as if a channel should be called the sea. Shamest thou not, knowing whence thou art extraught, to let thy tongue detect thy base-born heart. A wisp of straw were worth a thousand crowns to make this shameless callet know herself. Helen of Greece was fairer far than thou, although thy husband may be Menelaus. And ne'er was Agamemnon's brother wronged by that false woman, as this king by thee. His father reveled in the heart of France and tamed the king and made the dofast stoop. And had he matched according to his state, he might have kept that glory to this day. But when he took a beggar to his bed and graced thy poor sire with his bridal day, even then that sunshine brewed a a shower for him that washed his father's fortune forth of France and heaped sedition on his crown at home. For what hath broached this tumult but thy pride? Hadst thou been meek, our title still had slept, and we, in pity of the gentle king, had slipped our claim until another age." But when we saw our sunshine made thy spring, and that thy summer bred us no increase, we set the axe to thy usurping root. And though the edge hath something hit ourselves, yet know thou, since we have begun to strike, we'll never leave till we have hewn thee down, or bathed thy growing with our heated bloods. And in this resolution I defy thee not willing any longer conference, since thou deniest the gentle king to speak. Sound trumpets that our bloody colors wave, and either victory or else a grave. Stay, Edward. No wrangling woman will no longer stay. These words will cost 10,000 lives this day. Exent. Scene three, a field of battle between Towton and Saxon... In Yorkshire, alarum, excursions, enter Warwick. We're spent with toil as runners with a race. I lay me down a little while to breathe. For strokes received and many blows repaid have robbed my strong knit sinews of their strength. And spite of spite needs must I rest a while. Enter Edward running. Smile, gentle heaven, or strike on gentle death. For this world frowns, and Edward's sun is clouded. 
How now, my lord? What hap? What hope of good? Enter George. Our hap is lost. Our hope is but sad despair. Our ranks are broke and ruin follows us. What counsel give you? Whither shall we fly? Who is his flight? They follow us with wings. And weak we are and cannot shun pursuit. Enter Richard. Ah, Warwick, why hast thou withdrawn thyself? Thy brother's blood the thirsty earth hath drunk, broached with the steely point of Clifford's lance. And in the very pangs of death he cried like to a dismal clangor, heard from afar, Warwick, revenge! Brother, revenge my death! So underneath the belly of the steeds that stained their fetlocks in his smoking blood, the noble gentleman gave up the ghost. Then let the earth be drunken with our blood. I'll kill my horse because I will not fly. Why stand we like soft-hearted women here, wailing our losses whilst the foe doth rage and look upon as if the tragedy were played in jest by counterfeiting actors? Here, on my knee, I vow to God above. I'll never pause again, never stand still till either death hath closed these eyes of mine or fortune given me measure of revenge. Oh, Warwick, I do bend my knee with thine, and in this vow do chain my soul to thine. And ere my knee rise from the earth's cold face, I throw my hands, mine eyes, my heart to thee. Thou set her up and pluck her down of kings, beseeching thee, if with, if, if with they will it stands, if with thy will it stands, that to my foes this body must be prey, yet that thy brazen gates of heaven, that, that thy brazen gates of heaven may ope and give sweet passage to my sinful soul. Now, lords, take leave until we meet again, where it be, in heaven or in earth. Brother, give me thy hand. And gentle Warwick, let we embrace thee in my weary arms. I, that did never weep now, Melt with woe that winter should cut off our springtime so. Away, away, once more, sweet lords, farewell. Yet let us all together to our troops, and give them leave to fly that will not stay, and call them pillars that will stand to us. And if we thrive, promise them such rewards as victors wear at the Olympian Games. This may plant courage in their quelling breasts, for yet is hope of life and victory. For slow no longer, make we handsome aim. Exit. Scene four, another part of the field. Excursions enter Richard and Clifford. Now, Clifford, I have singled thee alone. Suppose this arm is for the Duke of York and this for Rutland, but both bound to revenge, wert thou environed with a brazen wall. Now, Richard, I am here with the, I am with thee here alone. This is the hand that stabbed thy father York, and this is the hand that slew thy brother Rutland, and here's the heart that triumphs in their death and shears these hands that slew thy sire and brother to execute the like upon thyself, and so have at thee. They fight. Warwick comes. Clifford flies. Nay, Warwick, single out some other chase, for I myself will hunt this wolf to death. Exeunt. Scene five, another part of the field. Alarum enter King Henry the Sixth alone. This battle fares like to the morning's war, when dying clouds contend with growing light, what time the shepherd blowing of his nails can neither call it perfect day nor night. Now sways it this way, like a mighty sea forced by the tide to combat with the wind. Now sways it that way, 
like the self-same sea forced to retire by fury of the wind. Sometime the flood prevails, and then the wind. Now one the better, then another best, both tugging to be victors, breast to breast, yet neither conqueror nor conquered. So is the equal of this fell war. Here on this molehill will I sit me down. To whom God will, there be the victory. For Margaret, my queen, and Clifford too, have chid me from the battle, swearing both they prosper best of all when I am thence. Would I were dead, if God's will were so. For what is in this world but grief and woe? Oh, God. Methinks it were a happy life to be no better than a homely swain, to sit upon a hill as I do now, to carve out dials quaintly, point by point, thereby to see the minutes, how they run, how many make the hour full complete, how many hours bring about the day, how many days will finish up the year, how many years a mortal man may live. When this is known, then to divide the times, so many hours must I tend my flock, so many hours must I take my rest, so many hours must I contemplate, so many hours must I sport myself, so many days my use have been with young, so many weeks ere the poor fools will e'en, so many years ere I shall shear the fleece, so minutes, hours, days, months, and years passed over to the end they were created would bring white hairs unto a quiet grave. Ah, what a life were this! How sweet, how lovely! Gives not the hawthorn bush a sweeter shade to shepherds looking on their silly sheep than doth a rich embroidered canopy to kings that fear their subjects' treachery? Oh, yes, it doth. A thousandfold it doth. And to conclude, the shepherd's homely curds, his cold, thin drink out of his leather bottle, his wonted sleep under a fresh tree's shade, all which secure and sweetly he enjoys, is far beyond the prince's delicates, his viands sparkling in a golden cup, his body couched in a curious bed, when care, mistrust, and treason waits on him. Larum, enter a son that has killed his father, dragging in the dead body. Ill blows the wind that profits nobody. This man, whom hand to hand I slew in fight, may be possessed with some store of crowns, and I, that haply take them from him now, may yet ere night yield both my life and them to some man else, as this dead man doth me. Who's this? Oh, God, it is my father's face, whom in this conflict I unawares have killed. Oh, heavy times, begetting such events. From London by the king was I pressed forth, my father being the Earl of Warwick's man, came on the part of York, pressed by his master, and I, who at his hands received my life, him have by my hands of life bereaved him. Pardon me, God, I knew not what I did. And pardon, Father, for I knew thee not. My tears shall wipe away these bloody marks, and no more words till they have flowed their fill. Oh, piteous spectacle. Oh, bloody times. 
whilst lions war and battle for their dens, poor harmless lambs abide their enmity. Weep, wretched man, I'll aid thee tear for tear, and let our hearts and eyes like civil war be blind with tears and break or charged with grief. Enter a father that has killed his son, bringing in the body. Thou that so stoutly hast resisted me, give me thy gold, if thou hast any gold, for I have bought it with a hundred blows. But let me see, is this our foeman's face? Ah, no, 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 it is mine only son. Ah, boy, if any life be left in thee, throw up thine eye. See what showers arise, blown with the windy tempest of my heart, upon thy words that kill mine eye and heart. O pity, God, this miserable age, what stratagems, how fell, how butcherly, erroneous, mutinous, and unnatural, this deadly quarrel daily doth beget. O boy, thy father gave thee life too soon, and hath bereft thee of thy life too late. Woe above woe, grief more than common grief. Oh, that my death would stay these rueful deeds. O pity, pity, gentle heaven, pity. The red rose and the white are on his face, the fatal colors of our striving houses. The one his purple blood right well resembles, the other his pale cheeks, methinks, presenteth. Wither one rose and let the other flourish. If you contend, a thousand lives must wither. How will my mother for a father's death take on with me and ne'er be satisfied? How will my wife for slaughter of my son shed seas of tears and ne'er be satisfied. How will the country for these woeful chances misthink the king and not be satisfied? Was ever son so rude a father's death? Was ever father so bemoaned his son? Was ever king so grieved for his subject's woe? Much is your sorrow, mine ten times so much. I'll bear thee hence, where I may weep my fill. Exit with the body. These arms of mine shall be thy winding sheet. My heart, sweet boy, shall be thy sepulchre. For from my heart thine image ne'er shall go. My sighing breast shall be thy funeral bell. And so obsequious will thy father be. Even for the loss of thee, having no more, as Priam was for all his valiant sons, I'll bear thee hence, and let them fight that will, for I have murdered where I should not kill. Exit with the body. Sad-hearted men, much overgone with care, here sits a king more woeful than you are. Alarms, excursions, enter Queen Margaret, Prince Edward, and Exeter. Fly, father, fly, for all your friends are fled, and Warwick rages like a chafed bull. Away, for death doth hold us in pursuit. Mount you, my lord. Towards Berwick, post a main. Edward and Richard, like a brace of greyhounds, having the fearful flying hair in sight, with fiery eyes sparkling for very wrath, and bloody steel grasped in their ireful hands, are at our backs, and therefore hence a main. Away, for vengeance comes along with them. Nay, stay not to expostulate. Make speed, or else come after, all away before. Nay, take me with thee, good sweet Exeter. Not that I fear to stay, but love to go, whither the queen intends. Forward, away. Exeunt. Scene six, another part of the field. A loud alarm, enter Clifford, wounded. 
Here burns my candle out. I hear it dies, which while it lasted gave King Henry light. O Lancaster, I fear thy overthrow more than my body's parting with my soul. My love and fear glued many friends to thee. And now I fall, thy tough commixture melts, impairing Henry, strengthening Miss Proud York, the common people swarm like summer flies. And whither fly the gnats but to the sun? And who shines now but Henry's enemies? O Phoebus, hadst thou never given consent that Phaeton should check thy fiery steeds, thy burning car never had scorched the earth. And Henry, hadst thou swayed as kings should do, or as thy father and his father did, giving no ground under the house of York, thy never then had sprung like summer flies. I and ten thousand in this luckless realm had no more, left no mourning window, widows for our death, and thou this day hadst kept thy chair in peace. For what doth cherish weeds but gentle air? And what make, ro- makes robbers bold but too much lenity? Bootless are plaints and care- cureless are my wounds. No way to fly nor strength to hold out flight. The foe is merciless and will not pity, for at their hands I have deserved no pity. The air hath got into my deadly wounds, and much a fuse of blood doth make me faint. Come, York and Richard, Warwick and the rest. I stabbed your father's bosom, split my breast. He faints. Alarm and retreat. Enter Edward, George, Richard, Montague, Warwick, and soldiers. (laughs) Now breathe, we lords. Good fortune bids us pause and smooth the frowns of war with peaceful looks. Some troops pursue the bloody-minded queen that led calm Henry, though he were a king, as doth a sail filled with a fretting gust command an argosy to stem the waves. But think you, lords, that Clifford fled with them. No, tis impossible he should escape. For though before his face I speak the words, your brother Richard marked him for the grave, and wheresoe'er he is, he's surely dead. Clifford groans and dies. Whose soul is that which takes her heavy leave? Deadly groan, like life and death's apart. I see who it is, and now the battle's ended. A friend or foe, let him be gently used. Hmm? Well, not contended that he lopped the branch in hewing Rutland when his leaves put forth, but set his murdering knife onto the root from whence that tender spray did sweetly spring. I mean, our princely father, Duke of York. From off the gates of York, fetch down the head, your father's head, which Clifford placed there. Instead, whereof let this supply the room. Measure for measure must be answered. Bring forth that fatal screech owl to our house. Nothing sung but death to us and ours. Now death shall stop his dismal threatening sound, and his ill-boding tongue no more shall speak. Think his understanding is bereft. Speak, Clifford, dost thou know who speaks to thee? Dark cloudy death o'ershades his beams of life, and he nor sees nor hears us what we say. 
Oh, would he did. And so perhaps he doth. Tis but his policy to counterfeit, because he would avoid such bitter taunts, which in the time of death he gave our father. So thou thinkest, vexed him with eager words. Clifford, ask mercy and obtain no grace. Clifford, repent in bootless penitence. <laughs> Clifford, devise excuses for thy faults. Well, we devise foul tortures for thy faults. Thou didst love York, and I am son to York. Thou pitiest Rutland, I will pity thee. <laughs> Where's Captain Margaret to fence you now? Ask <laughs> thee, Clifford, swear as thou wast wont. What? Not an oath? Nay, then the world goes hard when Clifford cannot spare his friends an oath. I know but that he's dead. And by my soul, if this right hand would buy two hours' life, that I in all despite might rail at him, this hand should chop it off. And with the issuing blood, stifle the villain whose unstat thirst York and young Rutten could not satisfy. Ay, mm. but he's dead. Off with the traitor's mm. head and rear it in the place your father stands. And now to London with triumphant march, there to be crowned England's royal king. From whence shall Warwick cut the seat of France and ask the Lady Bona for thy queen. So shalt thou sing you both these lands together. And having France thy friend, thou shalt not dread the scattered foe that hopes to rise again. For though they cannot greatly sting to hurt, yet look to have them buzz to offend thine ears. First will I see the coronation, and then to Brittany I'll cross the sea, to effect this marriage. So it please my lord. Even as thou wilt, sweet Warwick, let it be. For in thy shoulder do I build my seat, and never will I undertake the thing wherein thy counsel and consent is wanting. Richard... I will create thee the Duke of Gloucester and George of Clarence. Warwick, as ourself, shall do and undo as him pleaseth best. Uh, let me be Duke of Gloucester. George, oh, sorry, of Clarence. George of Gloucester. For Gloucester's dukedom is too ominous. Ah. That's a foolish observation. Richard, be Duke of Gloucester. Now to London to see these honors in possession. Okay. Exit. Act three, scene one, a forest in the north of England. Enter two keepers with crossbows in their hands. Under this thick grown brake we'll shroud ourselves. For through this land anon the deer will come. And in this covert we will make our stand, culling the principle of all the deer. I'll stay above the hill so both may shoot. Well, that cannot be. The noise of thy crossbow will scare the herd, and so my shoot is lost. Here, stand we both, and aim we at the best. And for the time shall not seem tedious, I'll tell thee what befell me on a day in this self-place where now we mean to stand. Here comes a man. Uh, let's stay still till he be passed. Enter King Henry the Sixth, disguised with a prayer book. From Scotland... <clears throat> Am I stolen, even of pure love, to greet mine own land with my wishful sight? No, Harry, Harry, tis no land of thine. Thy place is filled, thy scepter wrung from thee, thy balm washed off, for with thou wast 
hast anointed, no bending knee will call thee Caesar now. No humble suitors press to speak for right. No, not a man comes for redress of thee. For how can I help them and not myself? Aye, here's a deer who skins a keeper's fee. This is the quantum king. Let's seize upon him. Let me embrace thee, sour adversity. For wise men say it is the wisest course. Why linger we? Let's lay hands upon him. Forbear a while, we'll hear a little more. My queen and son are gone to France for aid. And as I hear, the great commanding Warwick is thither gone to crave the French king's sister to wife for Edward. If this news be true, poor queen and son, your labor is but lost. For Warwick is a subtle orator, and Louis a prince soon won with moving words. By this account, then, Margaret may win him, for she's a woman to be pitied much. Her sighs will make a battery in his breast. Her tears will pierce into a marble heart. The tiger will be mild while she doth mourn, and Nero will be tainted with remorse to hear and see her plaints, her brinish tears. I, but she's come to beg, Warwick to give. She, on his left side, craving aid for Henry, he on his right, asking a wife for Edward. She weeps and says her Henry is deposed. He smiles and says his Edward is installed. That she, poor wretch, for grief can speak no more, whilst Warwick tells his title, smooths the wrong, inferreth arguments of mighty strength, and in conclusion wins the king from her, with promise of his sister, and what else? to strengthen and support King Edward's place. Oh, Margaret, thus twill be, and thou, poor soul, art then forsaken as thou wentst forlorn. Say, what art thou that talkst of kings and queens? More than I seem, and less than I was born to. A man, at least, for less I should not be. And men may talk of kings, why not I? I, but thou talkst as if thou wert a king. Why, so I am, in mind, and that's enough. But if thou be a king, where is thy crown? My crown is in my heart, not on my head. Not decked with diamonds and Indian stones. Not to be seen. My crown is called content. A crown it is that seldom kings enjoy. Well, if you be a king crowned with content, your crown content, and you must be contented to go along with us. For as we think, you are the king Edward hath disposed, and we deposed, and we his subjects sworn in all allegiance will apprehend you as his enemy. But did you never swear and break an oath? No, never such an oath, nor will not now. Where did you dwell when I was king of England? Here in this country, where we now remain. I was anointed king at nine months old. My father and grandfather were kings. And you were sworn true subjects unto me. And tell me, then, have you not broke your oaths? No. For we were subjects but while you were king. Why, am I dead? Do I not breathe a man? Ah, simple men, you know not what you swear. Look, as I blow this feather from my face, and as the air blows it to me again, 
obeying with the wind when I do blow, and yielding to another when it blows, commanded always by the greater gust, such is the lightness of you common men. But do not break your oaths, for of that sin my mild entreaty shall not make you guilty. Go where you will, the king shall be commanded, and be you kings, command, and I'll obey. We are true subjects to the king, King Edward. So would you be again to Henry, if he were seated as King Edward is? We charge you, in God's name and the king's, to go with us under the officers. In God's name, lead. Your king's name be obeyed. And what God will, that let your king perform. And what he will, I humbly yield unto. Exunt, scene two, London, the palace. Enter King Edward IV, Gloucester, Clarence, and Lady Grey. Brother of Gloucester, at St. Albans Field, this lady's husband, Sir Richard Grey, was slain. His lands then seized on by the conqueror. Pursuit is now to repossess those lands, which we, in justice, cannot well deny, because in quarrel of the House of York, the worthy gentleman did lose his life. Your Highness shall do well to grant her suit. It were dishonor to deny her. It were no less. But yet I'll make a pause. Yea, is it so? I see the lady hath the thing to grant before the king will grant her humble suit. He knows the game. How true he keeps the wind. Silence. Widow, we will consider of your suit, and come some other time to know our mind. Right, gracious lord, I cannot brook delay. May it please your highness to resolve me now, and what your pleasure is shall satisfy me. I, widow, then I'll warrant you all your lands, and if what pleases him shall pleasure you, fight closer, or good faith, you'll catch a blow. Fear her not, unless she chance to fall. God forbid that, for he'll take vantages. How many children hast thou, widow? Tell me. I think he means to beg a child for her. Nay, whip me then. He'll rather give her two. Three, my most gracious lord. You shall have four, if you'll be ruled by him. T'were pity they should lose their father's lands. Be pitiful, dread lord, and grant it then. The lord, give us leave. I'll try this widow's wit. Aye, good leave have you, for you will have leave till youth take leave and leave you to the crutch. Gloucester and Clarence retire. Now tell me, madam, do you love your children? I, full as dearly as I love myself. And would you not do much to do them good? To do them good, I would sustain some harm. Then get your husband's lands to do them good. Therefore, I came unto your majesty. I'll tell you how these lands are to be got. So shall you bind me to your highness' service. What service wilt thou do me if I give them? What you command, that rests in me to do. But you will take exceptions to my boons. No, gracious lord, except I cannot do it. 
Aye, but thou canst do what I mean to ask. Why, then, I will do what your grace commands. He plies her hand, and much rain wears the marble. <laughs> As red as fire, nay, then her wax must melt. Why stops, my lord? Shall I not hear my task? Oh, an easy task. Tis but to love a king. That's soon performed, because I am a subject. Oh, why then, thy husband's lands I freely give thee. I take my leave with many thousand thanks. The match is made. She seals it with a curtsy. But stay thee. Tis the fruits of love, I mean. The fruits of love, I mean, my loving liege. Aye, but I fear me in another sense. What love thinks thou I sue to much so get? My love till death, my humble thanks, my prayers, that love which virtue begs and virtue grants. No. By my troth, I did not mean such love. Why then, you mean not as I thought you did. But now you partly may perceive my mind. My mind will never grant what I perceive your highness aims at, if I aim aright. To tell thee plain, I am to lie with thee. To tell you plain, I had rather lie in prison. Why, then thou shalt not have thy husband's lands. Why, then mine honesty shall be my dower, for by that loss I will not purchase them. Therein thou wrongst thy children mightily. Herein your highness wrongs both them and me. But, mighty lord, this merry inclination accords not with the sadness of my suit. Please, you dismiss me with either an I or no. I, if thou wilt say I to my request. No, if thou dost say no to my demand. Then no, my lord, my suit is at an end. Um, the widow likes him not. She knits her brows. He is the bluntest wooer in Christendom. Her looks do argue her replete with modesty. Her words do show her wit incomparable. All her perfections challenge sovereignty. One way or other, she is for a king. And that she shall be my love, or else my queen. Um, say that King Edward take thee for his queen. Tis better said than done, my gracious lord. I am a subject fit to jest withal, but far unfit to be a sovereign. Sweet widow, by my state, I swear to thee I speak no more than what my soul intends, and that is to enjoy thee for my love. And that is more than I will yield unto. I know I am too mean to be your queen, and yet too good to be your concubine. You cavil, widow, I did mean my queen. T'will grieve your grace, my sons should call you father. No more than when my daughters call thee mother. Thou art a widow, and thou hast some children. And by God's mother, I, being but a bachelor, have other some. It is a happy thing to be the father unto many sons. But answer no more, for thou shalt be my queen. The ghostly father now hath done his shrift. When he was made a shriver, t'was for shift. Brothers, you muse what chat we two have had? Uh, 
The widow likes it not, for she looks very sad. Oh, you, you'll think it's strange if I should marry her. Uh, to whom, my lord? Uh, why, Clarence, to myself. <laughs> that would be ten days' wonder at the least. A day is longer than a wonder last. By so much is the wonder in extremes. Well, jest on, brothers. I can tell you both, her suit is granted for her husband's lands. Enter a nobleman. My gracious lord, Henry, your foe is taken and brought your prisoner to your palace gate. See that he be conveyed unto the tower. And go we, brothers, to the man that took him, to question of his apprehension. Widow, go you along. Lords, use her honorably. Exent all but Gloucester. Aye, Edward will use women honorably. Would he were wasted, marrow, bones, and all, that from his loins no hopeful branch may spring to cross me from the golden time I look for. And yet, between my soul's desire and me, the lustful Edward's title buried is Clarence, Henry, and his son, young Edward, for all the unlooked-for issue of their bodies to take their rooms ere I can place myself a cold premeditation for my purpose. Why? Then I do but dream on sovereignty, like one that stands upon a promontory and spies a far-off shore where he would tread, wishing his foot were equal with his eye, and chides the sea that sunders him from thence, saying, he laid it dry to have his way. So do I wish the crown, being so far off, and so I chide the means that keeps me from it. And so I say, I'll cut the causes off, flattering me with impossibilities. My eyes, too quick. My heart overweens too much. Unless my hand and strength could equal them. Well, say there is no kingdom then for Richard. What other pleasure can the world afford? I'll make my heaven in a lady's lap and deck my body in gay ornaments and witch sweet ladies with my words and looks. Oh, miserable thought. And more unlikely than to accomplish 20 golden crowns. Why? Love forswore me in my mother's womb. And for I should not deal in her soft laws, she did corrupt frail nature with some bribe to shrink mine arm up like a withered shrub, to make an envious mountain on my back where sits deformity to mock my body, to shape my legs of an unequal size, to disproportion me in every part like to a chaos or an unlicked bear whelp that carries no impression like the dam. And am I then a man to be beloved? Oh, monstrous fault to harbor such a thought. Then, since this earth affords no joy to me, but to command, to check, to overbear such as are of better person than myself, I'll make my heaven to dream upon the crown. And whilst I live to account this world but hell, until my misshaped trunk that bears this head be round impaled with a glorious crown. And yet, 
I know not how to get the crown. For many lives stand between me and home, and I, like one lost in a thorny wood that rends the thorns and is rent with the thorns, seeking a way and straying from the way, not knowing how to find the open air, but toiling desperately to find it out, torment myself to catch the English crown. And from that torment, I will free myself or hew my way out with a bloody axe. Why, I can smile and murder whilst I smile and cry content to that which grieves my heart and wet my cheeks with artificial tears and frame my face to all occasions. I'll drown more sailors than the mermaid shall. I'll slay more gazers than the basilisk. I'll play the orator as well as Nestor. Deceive more slyly than Ulysses could. And like a Sinan, take another Troy. I can add colors to the chameleon, change shapes with Proteus for advantages, and set the murderous Machiavel to school. Can I do this and cannot get a crown? Tut. Word further off, I'll pluck it down. Exit. Scene three, France, King Louis XI's palace. Flourish under King, King Louis XI, his sister Bona, his admiral called Bourbon, Prince Edward, Queen Margaret, and Oxford, King Louis XI sits and riseth again. Fair Queen of England, worthy Margaret, Sit down with us. It ill befits thy state and birth that thou should stand while Louis doth sit. No, mighty king of France. Now Margaret must strike her sail and learn a while to serve where kings command. I was, I must confess, great Albion's queen in former golden days. But now mischance hath trod my title down and with dishonor laid me on the ground where I must take like seat unto my fortune and to my humble seat conform myself. Well, I say, fair queen, whence springs this deep despair? From such a cause as fills mine eyes with tears and stops my tongue while heart is drowned in cares. Whate'er it be, be thou still like thyself, and sit thee by our side. Yield not thy neck to fortune joke, but let thy dauntless mind still ride in triumph over all this mischance. Be plain, Queen Margaret, and tell thy grief. It shall be eased if France can yield relief. These gracious words revive my drooping thoughts and give my tongue-tied sorrows leave to speak. Now, therefore, be it known to noble Lewis that Henry, sole possessor of my love, is of a king become a banished man and forced to live in a Scotland a forlorn, while proud, ambitious Edward, Duke of York, usurps the regal title and the seat of England's true anointed lawful king. This is the cause that I, poor Margaret, with this my son, Prince Edward, Henry's heir, am come to crave thy just and lawful aid. And if thou fail us, all our hope is done. Scotland hath will to help, but cannot help. Our people and our peers are both misled, our treasures seized, our soldiers put to flight, and as thou seest, ourselves in heavy plight. Renowned queen, with patience, calm the storm, while we bethink a means to break it off. The more we stay, 
the stronger grows our foe. The more I stay, the more I'll succor thee. But impatience waiteth on true sorrow, and see where comes the breeder of my sorrow. Enter Warwick. What's he that approacheth boldly to our presence? Our Earl of Warwick, Edward's greatest friend. Welcome, brave Warwick. What brings thee to France? He descends, she ariseth. I now begins account a second storm to rise, for this is he that moves both wind and tide. From worthy Edward, King of Albion, my lord and sovereign and thy vowed friend, I come. In kindness and unfeigned love, first to do greetings to thy royal person, and then to crave a league of amity. And lastly, to confirm that amity with a nuptial knot, if thou vouchsafe to grant that virtuous Lady Bonna, thy fair sister, to England's king in lawful marriage. If that go forward, Henry's hope is done. And, gracious madam, in our king's behalf, I am commanded, with your leave and favor, humbly to kiss your hand, and with my tongue to tell the passion of my sovereign's heart, where fame late entering, if his heedful ears hath placed thy beauty's image and thy virtue. King Lewis and Lady Bona, hear me speak before you answer, hear me speak before you answer Warwick. His demand springs not from Edward's well-meant honest love, but from deceit bred by necessity. For how can tyrants safely govern home unless abroad they purchase great alliance? To prove him tyrant, this reason may suffice, that Henry liveth still, but were he dead, Yet here Prince Edward stands, King Henry's son. Look, therefore, Lewis, that by this league and marriage thou draw not on thy danger and dishonor. For though usurpers sway the rule a while, yet heavens are just, and time suppresseth wrongs. Injurious Margaret. And why not, Queen? Because thy father Henry did usurp, and now no more are prince than she is queen. Oxford. Oxford. Kelly, can you come back? Kelly. Um, Jim? Where's Jim? <laughs> Is he here? Hi, sorry. I missed that part. <laughs> I didn't realize I was coming in here. No worries. Where are we? Um. <laughs> <laughs> three, three. Someone give him a line to, to text search. Yeah. Um, Jurious Margaret. Yes. Okay. Sorry, I, I skipped right past this bit. I didn't notice that I, Oxford was there. That's okay. It happens. Yeah. There's also a bunch of like text issues in the formatting. That might have been it. <laughs> uh, then Warwick disannuls the great John of Gaunt? Yeah. All right. Then Warwick disannuls the great John of Gaunt, which did subdue the greatest part of Spain. And after John of Gaunt, Henry IV, whose wisdom was a mirror to the wisest. And after that wise prince, Henry V who by his prowess conquered all France, from these are Henry Linley descends. Oxford, 
How haps it in this smooth discourse? You told not how Henry the Sixth hath lost all that which Henry the Fifth had gotten. Methinks these peers of France should smile at that. But for the rest, you'll tell a pedigree of three score and two years. A silly time to make prescription for a kingdom's worth. Why, Warwick, canst thou speak against thy liege, whom thou obeyedst thirty and six years, and not beray thy treason with a blush? Can Oxford, that did ever fence the right, now buckler falsehood with a pedigree? For shame! Leave Henry and call Edward king. Call him my king, by whose injurious doom my elder brother, the Lord Aubrey Vere, was done to death? And more than so, my father, even in the downfall of his mellowed years, when nature brought him to the door of death? No, Warwick, no! While life upholds this arm, this arm upholds the house of Lancaster. And I the house of York. Queen Margaret, Prince Edward, and Oxford, vouchsafe at our request to stand aside while I use further conference with Warwick. Heavens grant that Warwick's words bewitch him not. Now, Warwick, tell me, even upon thy conscience, is Edward your true king? For I were loath to link with him that were not lawful chosen. Thereon I pawn my credit and mine honor. But is he gracious in the people's eye? The more that Henry was unfortunate. Then further, all dissembling set aside, tell me for truth the measure of his love unto our sister, Bona. Such as it seems as may beseem a monarch like himself. Myself have often heard him say and swear that this his love was an eternal plant, whereof the root was fixed in virtue's ground, the leaves and fruit maintained with beauty's sun, exempt from envy, but not from disdain, unless the Lady Rana quit his pain. Now, sister, let us hear your firm resolve. Your grant to your denial shall be mine, yet I confess that after this day, when I have held your king's deserts recounted, mine ear hath tempted judgment to desire. Then, Warwick, thus our sister shall be Edward's. And now forthwith shall articles be drawn, touching the jointure that your king must make, which with her dowry shall be counterposed. Draw near, Queen Margaret, and be a witness that Bona shall be wife to the English king. Prince Edward? Stupid Prince Edward. To talk <laughs> to the English king. Deceitful Warwick. It was thy device by this alliance to make void my suit. Before thy coming, Lewis was Henry's friend. And is still friends to him and Margaret. But if your title to the crown be weak, as may appear by Edward's good success, then tis but a reason that I be released from giving aid, which late I promised. Um, yet shall you have all kindness at my hand that your estate requires and mine can yield. Henry now lives in Scotland at his ease, where having nothing, nothing can he lose. And as for you yourself, our quondam queen, you have a father able to maintain you, and better twere you troubled him than France. 
peace, impudent and shameless Warwick, peace, proud setter up and puller down of kings. I will not hence, till with my talk and tears, both full of truth, I make King Lewis behold the, thy sly conveyance and thy lord's false love, for both of you are birds of selfsame feather. Host blows a horn within. Warwick, this is some post to us or thee. Enter a post. My lord ambassador, these letters are for you, sent from your brother, Marcus Montague. These from our king unto your majesty. And madam, these for you, from whom I know not. They all read their letters. (laughs) I like it well that our fair queen and mistress smiles at her news, while Warwick frowns at his. Nay, mark how Lewis stamps as if he were nettled. I hope all's for the best. Warwick? What are thy news, and and yours, fair queen? Mine such as fill my heart with unhoped joys. Mine full of sorrow and heart's discontent. What? Has your king married the Lady Grey? And now, to soothe your forgery and his, sends me a paper to persuade me patience? Is this the alliance that he seeks with France? Dare he presume to scorn us in this manner? I told your majesty as much before. This proveth Edward's love and Warwick's honesty. King Lewis, I here protest in sight of heaven and by the hope I have of heavenly bliss that I am clear from this misdeed of Edward's. No more, my king, for he dishonors me, but most himself, if he could see his shame. Did I forget that by the house of York my father came untimely to his death? Did I let pass the abuse done to my niece? Did I impale him with the regal crown? Did I put Henry from his native right? And am I guerdoned at the last with shame? Shame on himself, for my desert is honor, and to repair my honor lost for him. I here renounce him and return to Henry. My noble queen let former grudges pass, and henceforth I am thy true servitor. I will revenge his wrong to Lady Bonna and replant Henry in his former state. Warwick, these words have turned my hate to love, and I forgive and quite forget old faults, and joy that thou becomest King Henry's friend. So much his friend, I his unfeigned friend, that if King Louis vouchsafe to furnish us with some few bands of chosen soldiers, I'll undertake to land them on our coast and force the tyrant from his seat by war. Tis not his new-made bride shall succor him. And as for Clarence, as my letters tell me, he's very likely now to fall from him, for matching more for wanton lust than honor or than for strength and safety of our country. Dear brother, how shall Bonner be revenged but by thy help to this distressed queen? Renowned prince, how shall poor Henry live unless thou rescue him from foul despair? My quarrel and the English queens are one. And mine, fair Lady Bonna, joins with yours. And mine with hers, and thine, and Margaret's. Therefore, at last I firmly am resolved. You shall have aid. Let me give humble thanks for all at once. Then, England's messenger, return in post and tell false Edward, thy supposed king, that Louis of France is sending over maskers to revel it with him and his new bride. Thou seest what's past. Go, fear thy king withal. 
tell him and hope he'll prove they were to her shortly. I'll wear the willow garland for his sake. Tell him my morning weeds are laid aside and I am ready to put armor on. Tell him from me that he hath done me wrong and therefore I'll uncrown him ere it be long. There's thy reward. Be gone. Exit post. But, Warwick, thou in Oxford with five thousand men shall cross the seas and bid false Edward battle. And, as occasion serves, this noble queen and prince shall follow with fresh supply. Yet, ere thy go, but answer me one doubt. What pledge have we of thy firm loyalty? This shall assure my constant loyalty, that if our queen and this young prince agree, I'll join mine eldest daughter and my joy to him forthwith in headly holy wedlock bands. Yes, I agree, and thank you for your motion. Son Edward, she is fair and virtuous. Therefore delay not. Give thy hand to Warwick, and with thy hand thy faith irrevocable, that only Warwick's daughter shall be thine. Yes, I accept her, for she well deserves it. And here to pledge my vow, I give my hand. He gives his hand to Warwick. Why stay we now? These soldiers shall be levied. And thou, Lord Bourbon, our high admiral, shall, uh, shalt waft them over with our royal fleet. I long till Edward fall by war's mischance for mocking marriage with a dame of France. Exent all but Warwick. Came from Edward as ambassador, but I return his sworn and mortal foe. Matter of marriage was the charge he gave me, but dreadful war shall answer his demand. Had he none else to make a stale but me, then none but I shall turn his jest to sorrow. I was the chief that raised him to the crown, and I'll be chief to bring him down again. Not that I pity Henry's misery, but seek revenge on Edward's mockery. Exit. Act 4, Scene 1, London, the Palace, under Gloucester, Clarence, Somerset, and Montague. Now tell me, Brother Clarence, what think you of this new marriage with the Lady Grey? Hath not our brother made a worthy choice? Last, you know, tis far from hence to France. How could he stay till Warwick made return? Somerset? <laughs> Ruggle bus today, guys. My lords forbear this talk, here comes the king. And his well-chosen bride. I mind. Tell him plainly what I think. Flourish. Enter King Henry the Fourth. Uh, king Edward the Fourth. sorry, attended. <laughs> I can't keep them track anymore. King, Queen Elizabeth, Pembroke, Stafford, Hastings, and others. Now... Brother of Clarence, how like you our choice, that you stand pensive as half malcontent. As well as Lewis of France, or the oral Earl of Warwick, which are so weak of courage and in judgment that they'll take no offense at our abuse. Well, suppose they take offense without a cause. They are but Lewis and Warwick. I am Edward, your king and Warwick's, and must have my will. And shall have your will, because our king, yet hasty marriage, seldom proveth well. Yea, Brother Richard, are you offended too? <laughs> Not I. No. God forbid that I should wish them served, whom God hath joined together, severed, whom God hath joined together. I, 
and for pity to sunder them that yoke so well together. Setting your scorns and your mislike aside, tell me some reasons why <laughs> the Lady Grey should not become my wife and England's queen. And you too, Somerset and Montague, speak freely what you think. Then this is mine opinion, that King Louis becomes your enemy for mocking him about the marriage of the Lady Bona. And Warwick, doing what you gave in charge, is now dishonored by this new marriage. And what if both Lewis and Warwick be appeased by such invention as I can devise? Yet to have joined with France in such alliance would more have strengthened this our commonwealth against foreign storms than any home-bred marriage. Why? Knows not Montague that of itself England is safe, if true within itself? But the safer when tis backed with France. Tis better using France than trusting France. Let us be backed with God and with the seas which he hath given for fence impregnable, and with their helps only defend ourselves. In them and in ourselves our safety lies. For this one speech, Lord Hastings well deserves to have the heir of the Lord of Hungerford. What, what of that? It was my will and grant, and for this once my will shall stand for law. And yet, methinks your grace, ha- your grace hath not done well to give the heir and daughter of Lord Scales unto the brother, brother of your loving bride. She better would have fitted me or Clarence, but in your bride you bury brotherhood. Or else you would not have bestowed the heir of the Lord Bonneville on your new wife's son, and leave your brothers to go speed elsewhere. Alas, poor Clarence, is it for a wife that thou art malcontent? I will provide thee. In choosing for yourself, you showed your judgment. Which being shallow, you give me leave to play the broker in mine own behalf. And to that end, I'll shortly mind to leave you. Leave me or tarry. Edward will be king, and not be tied unto his brother's will. My lords, before it pleased his majesty to raise my state to title of a queen, do me but right, and you must all confess that I was not ignoble of descent, and meaner than myself have had like fortune. But as this title honors me and mine, so your dislike, to whom I would be pleasing, doth cloud my joys with danger and with sorrow. My love, forbear to fawn upon their frowns. What danger or what sorrow can befall thee, so long as Edward is thy constant friend, and their true sovereign whom they must obey? Nay, whom they shall obey, and love thee too, unless they seek for hatred at my hands, which if they do, yet will I keep thee safe, for they shall feel the vengeance of my wrath. I hear, yet say not much, but think the more. Enter a post. Now, messenger, what letters are the what letters or what news from France? My sovereign liege, no letters and few words, but such as I, without your special pardon, dare not relate. Too, we pardon thee. Therefore, in brief, tell me their words as near as thou canst guess them. What answer makes King Louis unto our letters? At my depart, these were his very words. Go tell false Edward, thy supposed king, that Louis of France is sending over maskers to revel it with him and his new bride. <laughs> is Louis so brave? Be like he thinks me Henry. But what said Lady Bonner to my marriage? These were her words, uttered with mad disdain. Tell him, in hope he'll prove a widower shortly, I'll wear the willow garland for his sake. I blame not her. She could say a little less. She had the wrong. But what's it, Henry's queen? For I have heard that she was there in place. 
Tell him, quoth she, my morning weeds are done, and I am ready to put armor on. <laughs> Belike she minds to play the Amazon. <laughs> but what's it Warwick to these injuries? He, more incensed against your majesty than all the rest, discharged me with these words. Tell him from me that he hath done me wrong, and therefore I'll uncrown him ere it be long. Ha! Does the traitor breathe out so proud words? Well, I will arm me, being thus forewarned. They shall have wars and pay for their presumption. But say, is Warwick friends with Margaret? Aye, gracious sovereign, they are so linked in friendship that young Prince Edward marries Warwick's daughter. Mm-hmm. Be like the elder, Clarence will have the younger. Now, brother king, farewell, and sit you fast, for I will hence to Warwick's other daughter, that though I want a kingdom, yet in marriage I may not prove inferior to yourself. You that love me in Warwick, follow me. Exit Clarence and Somerset follows. Not I. My thoughts aim at a further matter. I stay not for the love of Edward, but the crown. Clarence and Somerset, both gone to Warwick. Yet am I armed against the worst can happen. And haste is needful in this, pre- in haste is needful in this desperate case. Pembroke, Stafford, you in our behalf go levy men and make prepare for war. They are all ready or quickly will be landed. Myself in person will straight follow you. Exit- there I go. Yeah, sorry. Oh, exempt Pembroke and Stafford. Ere I go, Hastings, Montague, resolve my doubt. You twain, of all the rest, are near to Warwick by blood and by alliance. Tell me if you love Warwick more than me. If it be so, <clears throat> that both depart to him. I rather wish you foes than hollow friends. But if you mind to hold your true obedience, give me assurance with some friendly vow that I may never have you in suspect. So God help Montague as he proves true. And Hastings, as he favors Edward's cause. Mm. Now, brother Richard, will you stand by us? Aye, in despite of all that shall withstand you. Why so? Then am I sure of victory. Now, therefore, let us hence, and lose no hour, till we meet Warwick with his foreign power. Excellent. Scene two, a plane in Warwickshire. Enter Warwick and Oxford with French soldiers. Trust me, my lord, all hitherto goes well. The common people by numbers swarm to us. Enter Clarence and Somerset. But see where Somerset and Clarence come. Speak suddenly, my lords. Are we all friends? You're not that, my lord. Then, gentle Clarence, welcome unto Warwick. And welcome Somerset. I hold it cowardice to rest mistrustful, where a noble heart hath pawned an open hand in sign of love. Else might I think that Clarence Edward's brother were but a feigned friend to our proceedings. But welcome, sweet Clarence, my daughter shall be thine. And now it rests but in night's coverture, thy brother being carelessly encamped his... Soldiers lurking in the towns about, and but attended by a simple guard, we may surprise him and take him at our pleasure. Our scouts have found the adventure very easy. That as Ulysses and stout Diomede with slight and manhood stole to Rhesus's tents and brought from thence the Thracian fatal steeds, so we, well covered with the knight's black mantle, at unawares may beat down Edward's guards and seize himself. I say not slaughter him, 
for I intend but only to surprise him. You that will follow me to this attempt, applaud the name of Henry with your leader. Henry! Why then let's on our way in silent sort. For Warwick and his friends, God and St. George. Exempt. Scene three, Edward's camp near Warwick. Enter three watchmen to guard King Edward IV's tent. Come on, my masters. Each man take his stand. The king by this has set him down to sleep. What? Will he not to bed? Why, no. For he hath made a solemn vow never to lie and take his natural rest till Warwick or himself be quite suppressed. Tomorrow, then, belike shall be the day if Warwick be so near as men report. But say, I... But say, I pray, what nobleman is that that with the king here resteth in his tent? Tis the Lord Hastings, the king's chiefest friend. Oh, is it so? But why commands the king that his chief followers lodge in towns about him, while he himself keeps in the cold field? Tis the more honor, because more dangerous. Aye, but give me worship and quietness. I like it better than a dangerous honor. If Warwick knew in what a state he stands, tis to be doubted he would waken him. Unless our halberds did shut up his passage. Aye, wherefore else guard we his royal tent, but to defend his person from night foes. Under Warwick, Clarence, Oxford, Somerset, and French soldiers, silent all. This is his tent, and see where stand his guard. Courage, my masters, honor now or never, but follow me, and Edward shall be ours. Who goes there? Stay, or thou diest. Warwick and the rest cry all, Warwick, Warwick, and set upon the guard, who fly, crying, arm, arm. Warwick and the rest follow them. The drum, playing and trumpet sounding, re-enter Warwick, Somerset, and the rest, bringing King Henry IV out out in his gown, sitting in a chair. Richard and Hastings fly over the stage. What are they that fly there? Richard and Hastings, let them go. Here is the Duke. Duke? Why, Warwick, when we parted, thou callest me king. Aye, but the case is altered. When you disgraced me in my embassade, then I degraded you from being king, and come now to create you Duke of York. Alas, how should you govern any kingdom that know not how to use ambassadors, nor how to be contented with one wife, nor how to use your brothers brotherly, nor how to study for the people's welfare? nor how to shroud yourselves from enemies. Yea, brother of Clarence, are you here too? Nay, then I see that Edward needs must down. Yet, Warwick, in despite of all mischance, of thee thyself and all thy companies, all thy accomplices, Edward will always bear himself as king. Though fortune's malice overthrow my state, my mind exceeds the compass of her wheel. Then... For his mind be Edward, England's king. But Henry now shall wear the English crown and be true king indeed, thou but the shadow. My lord of Somerset, at my request, see that forthwith Duke Edward be conveyed unto my brother, Archbishop of York. When I have fought with Pembroke and his fellows, I'll follow you and tell what answer Lewis and the Lady Bonna send to him. Now for a while, farewell, good Duke of York. What fates impose, that men must needs abide, it boots not to resist both wind and tide. 
Warwick is led out forcibly, and King Edward exits guarded. Oxford's ready to speak now. <laughs> I missed that one too? Jeez. What now remains, my lords, for us to do but march to London with our soldiers? Aye, that's the first thing that we have to do, to free King Henry from imprisonment and see him seated in the regal throne. Exit. Scene four, London, the palace. Enter Queen Elizabeth and Rivers. Adam, what makes in you this sudden change? Why, Brother Rivers, are you yet to learn what late misfortune has befallen King Edward? What? Loss of some pitched battle against Warwick? No, but the loss of his own royal person. Then is my sovereign slain? Aye, almost slain, for he is taken prisoner, either betrayed by falsehood of his guard or by his foe surprised at unawares. And as I further have to understand, is new committed to the Bishop of York, fell Warwick's brother, and by that our foe. These news, I must confess, are full of grief. Yet, gracious madam, bear it as you may. Warwick may lose, that now hath won the day. Till then, fair hope must hinder life's decay. And either rather wean me from despair for love of Edward's offspring in my womb. This is it that makes me bridal passion and bear with mildness my misfortune's cross. Aye, aye, for this I draw in many a tear and stop the rising of blood-sucking sighs, lest with my sighs or tears I blast or drown King Edward's fruit, true heir to the English crown. But madam, where is Warwick then become? I am informed that he comes towards London to set the crown once more on Henry's head. Guess thou the rest. King Edward's friends must down, but to prevent the tyrant's, uh, but to prevent the tyrant's violence, for trust not him that hath once broken faith, I'll henceforth unto the sanctuary to save at least the heir of Edward's right. There shall I rest secure from force and fraud. Come, therefore, let us fly while we may. Uh, let us fly while we may fly. If Warwick take us, we are sure to die. Exit. Scene five, a park near Middleham Castle in Yorkshire. Enter Gloucester, Hastings, and Stanley. Now, my Lord Hastings and Sir William Stanley, leave off to wonder why I drew you hither into this chiefest thicket of the park. Thus stands the case. You know our king, my brother, is prisoner to the bishop here, at whose hands he hath good usage and great liberty and often but attended with weak guard, comes hunting this way to disport himself. I have advertised him by secret means that if about this hour he makes his way under the color of his usual game, he shall here find his friends with horse and men to set him free from his captivity. Enter King Henry the Fourth and huntsmen with him. This way, my lord, for this way lies the game. Hey, this way, man. See where the huntsmen stand. Now, brother of Gloucester, Lord Hastings, the rest, stand you thus close to steal the bishop's deer. Brother, the time and case requireth haste. Your horse stands ready at the park corner. But whither shall we then? To Lynn, my lord, and ship from thence to Flanders. Well guessed, believe me, for that was my meaning. Stanley, I will requite thy forwardness. (laughs) But wherefore stay we? Tis no time to talk. Huntsman, what sayest thou? Wilt thou go along? Oh, better do so than... 
Come then, away. Harry and be hanged. Come then, away. Bishop. Yeah. Sorry, let's have no more ado. <laughs> Bishop, farewell. Shield thee from Warwick's frown, and pray that I may repossess the crown. Exent. Scene six, London, the tower. Flourish, enter King Henry VI, Clarence Warwick, Somerset, King Henry of Richmond, Oxford, Montague, and Lieutenant of the Tower. Master Lieutenant, now that Dodd and friends have shaken Edward from the regal seat and turned my captive state to liberty, my fear to hope, my sorrows unto joys, at our enlargement, what are thy due fees? Subjects may challenge nothing of their sovereigns, but if an humble prayer may prevail, I then crave pardon of your majesty. For what, lieutenant? For well using me? Nay, be thou sure I well requite thy kindness, for that it made my imprisonment a pleasure. Aye, such a pleasure as in caged birds conceive when after many moody thoughts, at last by notes of household harmony, they quite forget their loss of liberty. But Warwick, after God, thou setst me free, and chiefly, therefore, I thank God and thee. He was the author, thou the instrument. Therefore, that I may conquer fortune's spite by living low, where fortune cannot hurt me, and that the people of this blessed land may not be punished with my thwarting stars. Warwick, although my head still wear the crown, I here resign my government to thee, for thou art fortunate in all deeds. For grace hath still been famed for virtuous, and now may seem as wise as virtuous, by spying and avoiding few of fortune's malice, for few men rightly temper with the stars. Yet in this one thing let me blame your grace for choosing me when Clarence is in place. No, Warwick, thou art worthy of this way. To whom the heavens in thy nativity adjudged, adjudged an olive branch, a moral crown, is likely to be blessed in peace and war, and therefore it yield thee my free consent. And I choose Clarence only for protector. Warwick and Clarence, give me both your hands. Now join your hands, and with your hands, your hearts, that no dissension hinder government. I make you both protectors of this land, while I myself will lead a private life and in devotion spend my latter days to sin's rebuke and my creator's praise. What answers Clarence to his sovereign's will? That he consents, if Warwick yield consent, for on thy fortune I repose myself. Why then, though, loath yet must I be content. Will yoke together like a double shadow to Henry's body and supply his place, I mean, in bearing weight of government while he enjoys the honor and his ease. And Clarence, now then, it is more than needful forthwith that Edward be pronounced a traitor and all his lands and goods be confiscate. What else? And that succession be determined. Aye, therein Clarence shall not want his part. But with the first of all your chief affairs, let me entreat, for I command no more, that Margaret, your queen, and my son Edward be sent for, to return from France with speed, for till I see them here, by doubtful fear, my joy of liberty is half eclipsed. It shall be done, my sovereign, with all speed. My lord of Somerset, what <clears throat> youth is that 
of whom you seem to have so tender care. My liege, it is young Henry, Earl of Richmond. Come hither, England's hope. Lays his head on, hand on his head. If secret powers suggest but truth to my divining thoughts, this pretty lad will prove our country's bliss. His looks are full of peaceful majesty, his head by nature framed to wear a crown, his hand to wield a scepter, and himself likely in time to bless a regal throne. Make much of him, my lords, for this is he must help you more than you are hurt by me. Enter a post. What news, my friend? That Edward has escaped from your brother and fled as he here sends to Burgundy. Savory news, but how made he his escape? He was conveyed by Richard, Duke of Gloucester, and the Lord Hastings, who attended him, in secret ambush on the forest side, and from the bishop's huntsmen rescued him, for hunting was his daily exercise. My brother was too careless of his charge. But let us hence, my sovereign, to provide a salve for any sore that may be tied. Exempt all but Somerset, Henry of Richmond, and Oxford. My lord, I like not of this flight of Edward's. For doubtless Burgundy will yield him help, and we shall have more wars before it to be long. As Henry's late presaging prophecy did glad my heart with hope of this young Richmond, so doth my heart misgive me in these conflicts what may befall him to his harm and ours. Therefore, Lord Oxford, to prevent the worst, forthwith will send him hence to Brittany, till storms be passed of civil enmity. Aye, for if Edward repossess the crown, tis like that Richmond with the rest shall down. It shall be so, he shall to Brittany. Come, therefore, let's about it speedily. Exempt. Scene seven before York. Flourish, enter King Edward the Fourth, Gloucester, Hastings, and soldiers. Now, Brother Richard, Lord Hastings, and the rest. Yet thus far fortune maketh us amends and says that once more I shall interchange my waned state for Henry's regal crown. Well have, we pa- <clears throat> well have we passed and now repassed the seas and brought desired help from Burgundy. What then remains? We being thus arrived from Ravenspur Haven before the gates of York, but that we enter as into our dukedom. Gates made fast. Brother, I like not this. For many men that stumble at the threshold are well foretold that danger lurks within. Touch, man, abodements must not now affright us. By fair or foul means we must enter in, for hither will our friends repair to us. My liege, I'll knock once more to summon them. Enter on the walls the mayor of York and his brethren. My lords, we were forewarned of your coming, and shut the gates for safety of ourselves, for now we owe allegiance unto Henry. But, Master Mayor, if Henry be your king, yet Edward at the least is Duke of York... True, my good lord, I know you for no less. Why, and I challenge nothing but my dukedom, as being well content with that alone. But when the fox hath once got in his nose, he'll soon find means to make the body fellow. Why, Master Mayor, why stand you in a doubt? Open the gates. We are King Henry's friends. I say you so? The gates shall then be opened. They descend. A wise, stout captain, and soon persuaded. The good old man would fain that all were well, so twere not long of him. But being entered, I doubt not I, but we shall soon persuade him both, and all his brothers unto reason. 
Enter the mayor and two aldermen below. So, Master Mayor, these gates must not be shut, but in the night or in the time of war. What? Fear not, man, but yield me up the keys. Takes his keys. For Edward will defend the town and thee, and all those friends that deign to follow me. March, enter Montgomery with drum and soldiers. Brother, this is Sir John Montgomery, our trusty friend, unless I be deceived. Welcome, Sir John. But why come you in arms? To help King Edward in his time of storm, as every loyal subject ought to do. Thanks, good Montgomery. But we now forget our title to the crown and only claim our dukedom till God please to send the rest. Then fare you well, for I will hence again. I came to serve a king and not a duke. Drummer, strike up and let us march away. The drum begins to march. Stay, Sir John, a while, and we'll debate by what safe means the crowd may be recovered. What talk you of debating, in few words, if you'll not here proclaim yourself our king? I'll leave you to your fortune and be gone, to keep them back that come to succor you. Why shall we fight if you pretend no title? Why, brother, wherefore stand you on nice points? When we grow stronger, then we'll make our claim. Till then, tis wisdom to conceal our meaning. Away with scrupulous wit. Now arms must rule. Aye, and fearless minds climb soonest onto crowns. Brother, we will proclaim you out of hand. The bruit thereof will bring you many friends. Then be it as you will, for tis my right, and Henry but usurps the diadem. Aye, now my sovereign speaketh like himself, and now will I be Edward's champion. Sound, trumpet. Edward shall be here proclaimed. Come, fellow soldier, make thou proclamation. Flourish. Edward the Fourth, by the grace of God, King of England and France and Lord of Ireland and company. And whosoever gainsays King Edward's right, by this I challenge him to single fight. Throws down his gauntlet. Long live live. Edward the Fourth. Thanks. (laughs) Thanks, brave Montgomery. Thanks unto you all. If fortune serve me, I'll requite this kindness. Now, for this night, let's harbor here in York. And when the morning sun shall raise his car above the border of this horizon, we'll forward towards Warwick and his mates. For well I wot that Henry is no soldier. Ah, froward Clarence, how evil it beseems thee to flatter Henry and forsake thy brother. Yet as we may, we'll meet both thee and Warwick. Come on, brave soldiers, doubt not of the day. And that once gotten, doubt not of large pay. Exempt. Scene 8, London, the palace. Flourish, enter King Henry VI, Warwick, Montague, Clarence, Exeter, and Oxford. With council lords, Edward from Belgia, with hasty Germans and blunt Hollanders, hath passed in safety through the narrow seas. And with his troops doth march amain to London, and many giddy people flock to him. Let's levy men and beat him back again. A little fire is quickly trodden out, which, being suffered, rivers cannot quench. In Warwickshire I have true-hearted friends. Not mutinous in peace yet, bold in war. Those will I muster up. And thou, son Clarence, shalt stir up in Suffolk, Norfolk, and in Kent, the knights and gentlemen to come with thee. 
Thou, Brother Montague, in Buckingham, Northampton, and in Leicestershire, shall find men well inclined to hear what thou commandest. And thou, brave Oxford, wondrous well beloved, in Oxfordshire shall muster up thy friends. My sovereign, with the loving citizens, like to his island girt in with the ocean, or modest Diane circled with her nymphs, <laughs> shall rest in London till we come to him. Fair lords, take leave and stand not to reply. Farewell, my sovereign. Farewell, my Hector, and my Troy's true hope. In sign of truth, I kiss your highness's hand. Well-minded Clarence, be thou fortunate. Comfort, my lord, and so I take my leave. And thus I seal my truth, and bid adieu. Sweet Oxford, and my loving Montague, and all at once, once more, a happy farewell. Farewell, sweet lords. Let's meet at Coventry. Exint all but King Henry the Sixth and Exeter. Here at the palace I will rest a while. Cousin of Exeter, what thinks your lordship? Methinks the power that Edward hath in field should not be able to encounter mine. The doubt is that he will seduce the rest. That's not my fear. My mead hath got me fame. I have not stopped mine ears to their demands, nor posted off their suits with slow delays. My pity hath been balm to heal their wounds. My mildness hath allayed their swelling griefs. My mercy dried their water-flowing tears. I have not been desirous of their wealth, nor much oppressed them with great subsidies. Nor forward of revenge, though they much erred. Then why should they love Edward more than me? No, Exeter, these graces challenge grace. And when the lion fawns upon the lamb, the lamb will never cease to follow him. Shouts within, a Lancaster, a Lancaster. Hark, hark, my lord, what shouts are these? Enter King Henry the Fourth, or Edward the, oh, enter King Edward the Fourth, Gloucester and soldiers. See, <laughs> seize on the shame-faced Henry, bear him hence, and once again proclaim us King of England. You are the fount that makes small brooks to flow. Now stops thy spring. My sea shall suck them dry and swell so much the higher by their ebb. Hence with him to the tower, let him not speak. Exint some with King Henry the Sixth. Lords, towards Coventry bend we our course, where peremptory Warwick now remains. The sun shines hot, and if we use delay, cold biting winter mars our hoped for hay. Away betimes, before his forces join, and take the great grown traitor unawares. Brave warriors, march amain towards Coventry. Exeunt. Act 5, Scene 1, Coventry. Enter Warwick, the mayor of Coventry, two messengers, and others upon the walls. Where is the post that came from Valley's Oxford? How far hence is thy lord, mine honest fellow? By this at Dunsmore, marching hitherward. How far off is our brother Montague? Where is the post that came from Montague? By this at Daintree with a puissant troop. Enter Sir John Somerville. Say, Somerville, what says my loving son? And by thy guess, how nigh is Clarence now? Um, at Southam, I did leave him with his forces and do expect him here some two hours hence. Drum heard. Then Clarence is at hand. I hear his drum. 
It is not his, my lord. Here south from lies. The drum your honor hears marches from Warwick. Who should that be? Belike unlooked for friends? They are at hand and you shall quickly know. March flourish enter King Edward the Fourth, Gloucester and soldiers. Go trumpet to the walls and sound a parley. See how the surly Warwick mans the wall. Oh, unbid spite. Is sportful Edward come? Where slept our scouts, or how are they seduced that we could hear no news of his repair? Now, Warwick, wilt thou ope the city gates, speak gentle words, and humbly bend thy knee? Call Edward king, and at his hands beg mercy? And he shall pardon thee these outrages. Nay, rather wilt thou draw thy forces hence, confess who set thee up and plucked thee out. Call Warwick patron and be penitent, and thou shalt still remain the Duke of York. I thought at least he would have said the king, or did he make the jest against his will? Is not a dukedom, sir, a goodly gift? I, by my faith, for a poor earl to give, I'll do thee service for so good a gift. Twas I that gave the kingdom to thy brother. Why, then tis mine, if but by Warwick's gift. Thou art no Atlas for so great a weight. And weakling, Warwick takes his gift again, and Henry is my king, Warwick his subject. But Warwick's king is Edward's prisoner. And gallant Warwick, do but answer this. What is the body when the head is off? (laughs) Alas, that Warwick had no more forecast, but whilst he thought to steal the single ten, the king was slyly fingered from the deck. You left poor Henry at the bishop's palace, and ten to one you'll meet him in the tower. Tis even so, yet you are Warwick still. Come, Warwick, take the time. Kneel down, kneel down. Nay. When? Strike now, or else the iron cools. I had rather chop this hand off at a blow, and with the other fling it at thy face, than bear so low a sail to strike to thee. Sail how thou canst, have wind and tide thy friend. This hand, fast wound about thy coal black hair, shall, whilst thy head is warm and new cut off, write in the dust this sentence with thy blood. Wind-changing Warwick now can change no more. Enter Oxford with drum and colors. How cheerful colors! See where Oxford comes. Oxford! Oxford for Lancaster! He and his forces enter the city. Ah, the gates are open. Let us enter too. So other foes may set upon our backs. Stand we in good array, for they no doubt will issue out again and bid us battle. If not, the city being but of small defense, will quickly rouse the traitors in the same. Oh, welcome, Oxford, for we want thy help. Enter Montague with drum and colors. Montague! Montague for Lancaster! He and his forces enter the city. Mm, Thou and thy brother both shall by this treason, even with the dearest blood your bodies bear. The harder matched, the greater victory. My mind presageth happy gain and conquest. Enter Somerset with drum and colors. Somerset. Somerset for Lancaster. He and his forces enter the city. (laughs) 
two of thy name, both dukes of Somerset, have sold their lives unto the house of York. And thou shalt be the third if this sword hold. Enter Clarence with drum and colors. And lo, where George of Clarence sweeps along, a force enough to bid his brother battle, with whom an upright zeal to right prevails more than the nature of a brother's love. Come, Clarence, come, thou wilt if Warwick call. Father of Warwick, know you what this means? Taking his red rose out of his hat. Look here, I throw my infamy at thee. I will not ruminate my father's house. Who gives his, who gave his blood to lime the stones together and set up Lancaster. What, trowest thou, Warwick, that Clarence is so harsh, so blunt, unnatural, to bend the fatal instruments of war against his brother and his lawful king? Perhaps thou wilt object to my holy oath. To keep that oath where... Where more impiety than Jephthah's, <laughs> when he sacrificed his daughter. I am so sorry for my trespass made that, to deserve well at my brother's hands, I here proclaim myself thy mortal foe, with resolution, wheresoe'er I meet thee, as I will meet thee, if thou stir abroad, to plague thee for thy foul misleading of me. And so, proud-hearted Warwick, I defy thee, and to my brother turn my blushing cheeks. Pardon me, Edward, and we'll make amends. And Richard, do not frown upon my faults, for I will henceforth be no more unconstant. Oh, welcome, more and ten times more beloved than if thou never hadst deserved our hate. Welcome, good Clarence. This is brother-like. Passing traitor, perjured and unjust. What? Warwick, wilt thou leave the town and fight? Or shall we beat the stones about thine ears? Lass, I am not cooped here for defense. I will away toward Barnet presently, and bid thee battle, Edward, if thou darest. Yes, Warwick, Edward dares and leads the way. Lords to the field, St. George, and victory! Exund, King Edward, and his company. March, Warwick and his company follow. Sorry. Scene two, a field of battle near Barnet. Alarm and excursions enter King Edward the Fourth, bringing forth Warwick wounded. So, lie thou there, die thou, and die our fear. For Warwick was a bug that feared us all. Now, Montague, sit fast. I seek for thee that Warwick's bones may keep thine company. Exit. Uh, who is nigh? Come to me, friend or foe, and tell me who is Victor, York, or Warwick. Why ask I that? My mangled body shows, my blood, my want of strength, my sick heart shows that I must yield my body to the earth and by my fall the conquest to my foe. Thus yields the cedar to the axe's edge, whose arms gave shelter to the princely eagle, under whose shade the ramping lion slept, 
whose top branch overpeered Jove's spreading tree and kept low shrubs from winter's powerful wind. These eyes that now are dimmed with death's black veil have been as piercing as the midday sun. To search the secret treasons of the world, the wrinkles in my brows now filled with blood were likened off to kingly sepulchres. For who lived king but I could dig his grave? And who durst mind when Warwick bent his brow? Lo, now my glory smeared in dust and blood, my parks, my walks, my manners that I had. Even now forsake me, and of all my lands is nothing left me but my body's length. Why, what is pomp, rule, reign, but earth and dust? And live how we can, yet die we must. Enter Oxford and Somerset. Ah, Warwick, Warwick, wert thou as we are, we might recover all our loss again. The queen from France hath brought a puissant power. Even now we heard the news. Ah, couldst thou fly? I then I would not fly. Ah, Montague, if thou be there, sweet brother, take my hand, and with thy lips keep in my soul a while. Thou lovest me not, for brother, if thou didst, thy tears would wash this cold, congealed blood that glues my lips and will not let me speak. Come quickly, Montague, or I am dead. Ah, Warwick, Montague hath breathed his last, and to the latest gasp, cried out for Warwick, and said, Commend me to my valiant brother. And more he would have said, and more he spoke, which sounded like a clamor in a vault that might not be distinguished. But at last I well might hear, delivered with a groan, Oh, farewell, Warwick. Sweet, rest his soul. Fly, lords, and save yourselves, for Warwick bids you all farewell to meet in heaven. Dies. Away. Away to meet the queen's great power. Here they bear away his body. Exeunt. Scene three, another part of the field. Flourish, enter King Edward the Fourth in triumph with Gloucester, Clarence, and the rest. Thus far our fortune keeps an upward course, and we are graced with wreaths of victory. But in the midst of this bright shining day, I spy a black, suspicious, threatening cloud that will encounter with our glorious sun ere he attain his easeful western bed. I mean, my lords, those powers that the queen hath raised in Gallia have arrived our coast, and as we hear, march on to fight with us. A little gale will soon disperse that cloud and blow it to the source from whence it came. The very beams will dry those vapors up, for every cloud engenders not a storm. Queen is valued 30,000 strong, and Somerset with Oxford fled to her. If she have time to breathe, be well assured, her faction will be full as strong as ours. We are advertised by our loving friends that they do hold their course toward Tewkesbury. We, having now the best at Barnell Field, will thither straight, for willingness rides away. And as we march, our strength will be augmented in every country as we go along. Strike up the drum! Cry courage and away. Excellent. Scene four, plains near Tewkesbury. March, enter Queen Margaret, Prince Edward, Somerset, Oxford, and soldiers. Great lords, wise men ne'er sit and wail their loss, but cheerly seek how to redress their harms. What though the mast be now blown overboard, the cable broke, the holding anchor lost, and half our sailors swallowed in the flood. Yet lives our pilot still. 
is to meet that he should leave the helm and like a fearful lad with tearful eyes add water to the sea and give more strength to that which hath too much, whilst in his moan the ship splits on the rock which industry and courage might have saved. Ah, what a shame! Ah, what a fault were this! Say Warwick was our anchor. What of that? And Montague our topmast. What of him? Our slaughtered friends, the tackles. What of these? Why, is not Oxford here another anchor? And Somerset another goodly mast? The friends of France, our shrouds and tacklings? And though unskillful, why not Ned and I for once allow the skillful pilot's charge? We will not from the helm to sit and weep, but keep our course, though the rough wind say no, from shelves and rocks that threaten us with wreck, as good to chide the waves and speak them fair. And what is Edward but the ruthless sea? What Clarence but a quicksand of deceit? And Richard but a ragged fatal rock? All these the enemies to our poor bark. Say you can swim, alas, but tis a, but tis a while, tis but a while. Tread on the sand, why, there you quickly sink. Bestride the rock, the tide will wash you off, or else you famish. That's a threefold death. This speak, I lords, to let you understand, if case some one of you would fly from us, there's no hope for mercy with the brothers more than with ruthless waves, with sands and rocks. Why, courage then, what cannot be avoided, twere childish weakness to lament or fear. Methinks a woman of this valiant spirit should, if a coward heard her speak these words, infuse his breast with magnanimity and make him naked, foil a man-at-arms. I speak not this as doubting any here, for did I but suspect a fearful man, he should have leave to go away betimes, lest in our need he might infect another and make him of like spirit to himself. If any such be here, as God forbid, let him depart before we need his help. Women and children of so high a courage, and warriors faint. <laughs> Why, twere perpetual shame. O brave young prince. Thy famous grandfather doth live again in thee. Long mayest thou live to bear his image and renew his glories. And he that will not fight for such a hope, go home to bed and like the owl by day, if he arise, be mocked and wondered at. Thanks, gentle Somerset. Sweet Oxford, thanks. And take his thanks that yet hath nothing else. Enter a messenger. No, it finally happened to me. Uh, oh, God. Are we... We move faster than I thought. Okay. Uh, prepare you, lords, for Edward is at hand. Ready to fight, therefore, be resolute. I thought no less. It is his policy to haste thus fast, to find us unprovided. But he's deceived. We are in readiness. This cheers my heart to see your forwardness. Here pitch our battle. Hence, we will not budge. Flourish and march. Enter King Edward the Fourth, Gloucester, Clarence, and soldiers. <clears throat> Brave followers, yonder stands the thorny wood, which, by the heaven's assistance and your strength, must by the roots be hewn up yet ere night. I need not add more fuel to your fire, for well I wot ye blaze to burn them out. Give signal to the fight, and to it, lords. Lords, knights, and gentlemen, 
what I should say my tears gainsay. For every word I speak, ye see, I drink the water of mine eyes. Therefore, no more but this. Henry, your sovereign, is prisoner to the foe, his state usurped, his realm a slaughterhouse, his subjects slain, his statutes cancelled, and his treasure spent, and yonder is the wolf that makes this spoil. You fight injustice, then in God's name, lords, be valiant, and give signal to the fight. Alarum, retreat, excursions, exempt. Scene five, another part of the field. Flourish, enter King Edward IV, Gloucester, Clarence, and soldiers with Queen Margaret, Oxford, and Somerset prisoners. Now here a period of tumultuous broils. (laughs) Away with Oxford to Ham's castle straight. For Somerset off with his guilty head. Go, bear them hence. I will not hear them speak. For my part, I will not trouble thee with words. Nor I, but... Stoop with patience to my fortune. Exunt Oxford and Somerset guarded. So part we sadly in this troublous world to meet with joy in sweet Jerusalem. Proclamation made that who finds Edward shall have a right reward and he his life. It is. And lo, where youthful Edward comes. Enter soldiers with Prince Edward. Bring forth a gallant. Let us hear him speak. What? Can so young a thorn begin to prick? (laughs) Edward, what satisfaction canst thou make for bearing arms, for stirring up my subjects, and all the trouble thou thou hast turned me to? Speak like a subject, proud, ambitious York. Suppose that I am now my father's mouth. Resign thy chair, and where I stand, kneel thou, whilst I propose the selfsame words to thee, which traitor... Thou wouldst have me answer to. That thy father had been so resolved. That you might still have worn the petticoat and never have stolen the breech from Lancaster. Let Aesop... Let Aesop go in a winter's night. Oh, no, sorry, Prince Edward. Sorry, sorry, my bad, my bad. Uh, Let Aesop fable in a winter's night. His curish riddles sort not with this place. By heaven, Brad, I'll plague ye for the word. Aye, thou wast born to be a plague to men. For God's sake, take away this captive scold. Nay, take away this scolding crookback, rather. Peace, willful boy, or I will charm your tongue. Thou art an untutored lad. Thou art too malapert. I know my duty. You are all undutiful lascivious Edward, and thou perjured George, and thou misshapen Dick, I tell ye all, I am your better, traitors as ye are, and thou usurped my father's right and mine. Take that, thou likeness of his railer here. Stabs him. (laughs) Sprawlest thou, take that to end thy agony. Stabs him. And there's for twitting me with perjury. Stabs him. Oh, kill me too. Mary and shall. Offers to kill her. Hold, Richard, hold, for we have done too much. Why, why should she live to fill the world with words? What, does she swoon? Use means for her recovery. Clarence, excuse me to the king, my brother. I'll hence to London on a serious matter, ere ye come there. Be sure to hear some news. What? What? The tower. The tower. 
exit. Oh, Ned, sweet Ned, speak to thy mother, boy. Canst thou not speak? Traitors, murderers, they that stabbed Caesar shed no blood at all, did not offend, nor were not worthy blame if this foul deed were to e were but to equal it. He was a man, this, in respect, a child, and men ne'er spend, and men ne'er spend their fury on a child. What's worse than murderer, that I may name it? No, no, my heart will burst, and if I speak, and I will speak, that so my heart may burst, butchered, butchers and villains, bloody cannibals, how sweet a plant have you untimely cropped. You have no children, butchers. If you had, the thought of them would have stirred up remorse. But if you ever chance to have a child, look in his youth to have him so cut off as death men, you have rid this sweet young prince. Away with her. Go, bear her hands perforce. Nay, never bear me hence. Dispatch me here. Here, sheath thy sword. I'll pardon thee my death. What, wilt thou not? Then Clarence, do it thou. By heaven, I will not do thee so much ease. Good Clarence, do. Sweet Clarence, do thou do it. Didst thou not hear me swear I would not do it? Aye, but thou usest to forswear thyself. T'was sin before, but now tis charity. What, wilt thou not? Where is that devil's whip butcher, hard-favored Richard? Richard, where art thou? Thou art not here. Murder is thy almsdeed. Petitioners for blood thou ne'er put'st back. Oh, ah, sorry, sorry. Away, I say, away, I say, I charge ye, bear her hands. So come to you and yours as to this prince. Exit, let out forcibly. Where's Richard gone? To London, all in post. And as I guess, to make a bloody supper in the tower. He's sudden, if a thing comes in his head. Now, march we hence. Discharge the common sword with pay and thanks, and let's away to London, and see our gentle queen, how well she fares. By this, I hope, she hath a son for me. Exempt. Scene six, London, the tower. Enter King Henry the Sixth in Gloucester with the lieutenant on the walls. Good day, my lord. What? At your book so hard? Aye, my good lord. My lord, I should say, rather, to sin, to flatter. Good was little better. Good Gloucester and good devil were alike, and both preposterous, therefore not good lord. Sir, leave us to ourselves. We must confer. Exit, Lieutenant. So flies the reckless shepherd from the wolf. So first the harmless sheep doth yield his fleece and next his throat unto the butcher's knife. What scene of death hath Rossius now to act? Suspicion always haunts the guilty mind. The thief doth fear each bush an officer. The bird that hath been limed in a bush with trembling wings misdoubteth every bush, and I, the hapless male to one sweet bird, have now the fatal object in my eye where my poor young was limed, was caught, and killed. <laughs> Why, what a peevish fool was that of Crete that taught his son the office of a fowl. And yet, for all his wings, the fool was drowned. 
I, Daedalus, my poor boy Icarus, thy father Minus that denied our course, the son that seared the wings of my sweet boy, thy brother Edward, and thyself the sea whose envious gulf did swallow up his life. Ah, kill me with thy weapon, not with words. My breast can better brook thy dagger's point than can my ears that tragic history. But wherefore dost thou come? It's for my life. Thinkest thou I am an executioner? A persecutor, I am sure thou art. If murdering innocence be executing, why then thou art an executioner? Thy son I killed for his presumption. Hadst thou been killed when first thou didst presume, thou hadst not lived to kill a son of mine. And thus I prophesy that many a thousand which now mistrust no parcel of my fear, and many an old man's sigh, and many a widow's, and many an orphan's water-standing eye, men for their sons, wives for their husbands, and orphans for their parents' timeless death, shall rue the hour that ever thou wast born. The owl shrieked at thy birth, an evil sign. The night crow cried, a boding luckless time. Dogs howled, and hideous tempest shook down trees. The raven rooked on her chimney top, and chattering pies and dismal discords sung. Thy mother felt more than a mother's pain, and yet brought forth less than a mother's hope, to wit, an indigested and deformed lump not like the fruit of such a goodly tree. Teeth hadst thou in thy head when thou wast born to signify thou camest to bite the world. And if the rest be true, which I have heard, thou camest. I'll hear no more. Die, prophet, in thy speech. Stabs him. For this among the rest was I ordained. I... And from much more slaughter after this. God forgive my sins and pardon thee. Dies. What? Will the aspiring blood of Lancaster sink in the ground? I thought it would have mounted. See how my sword weeps for the poor king's death. Oh. May such purple tears be always shed from those that wish the downfall of our house. If any spark of light be yet remaining, down, down to hell, and say I sent thee thither. (laughs) Stabs him again. I, that have neither pity, love, nor fear, indeed, Tis true that Henry told me of, for I have often heard my mother say I came into the world with my legs forward. Had I not reason, think ye, to make haste and seek their ruin that usurped our right? The midwife wandered, and the woman cried, Oh, Jesus, bless us. He is born with teeth. And so I was, which plainly signified that I should snarl and bite and play the dog. Then since the heavens have shaped my body so, let hell make crooked my mind to answer it. I have no brother. I am like no brother. 
And this word, love, which graybeards call divine, be resident in men like one another and not in me. I am myself alone. Clarence, beware. Thou keepest me from the light, but I will sort a pitchy day for thee. For I will abuzz abroad such prophecies that Edward shall be fearful of his life. And then to purchase fear, I'll be thy death. King Henry and the prince, his son, are gone. Clarence, thy turn is next. And then the rest. Counting myself but bad till I be best. I'll throw thy body in another room and triumph, Henry, in thy day of doom. Exit with the body. Scene seven, London, the palace. Flourish, enter King Edward IV, Queen Elizabeth, Clarence, Gloucester, Hastings, a nurse with the young prince and attendants. Once more we sit in England's royal throne, repurchased with the blood of enemies. What valiant foemen, like to autumn's corn, have we mowed down in tops of all their pride? Three dukes of Somerset, threefold renowned for hardy and undoubted champions, two Cliffords as the father and the son, and two Northumberlands, two braver men ne'er spurred their courses at the trumpet sound. With them, the two brave bears, Warwick and Montague, that in their chains fettered the kingly lion and made the forest tremble when they roared. Thus have we swept suspicion from our seat and made, uh, thus have we swept suspicion from our seat and made our footstool of security. Come hither, Bess, and let me kiss my boy. Young Ned, for thee, thine uncles and myself have in our armors watched the winter's nights. Went all afoot in summer's scalding heat, that thou mightst repossess the crown in peace, and of our labors thou shalt reap the gain. I'll blast his harvest if your head were laid, for yet I am not looked on in the world. This shoulder was ordained so thick to heave, and heave it shall some weight or break my back. Work thou the way, and thou shalt execute. Clarence, Gloucester, love my lovely queen, and kiss your princely nephew, brothers both. The duty that I owe unto your majesty, I seal upon the lips of this sweet babe. Thanks, noble Clarence. Worthy brother, thanks. And that I love the tree from whence thou sprangest. Witness the the loving kiss, I give the fruit. And cried all hail, when as he meant all harm. Now am I seated as my soul delights, having my country's peace and brother's love. Uh, What will your grace have done with Margaret? Renier, her father, to the king of France, hath pawned the sicils in Jerusalem. And hither have they sent it her for ransom. Away with her. Waft her hands to France. And now it rests, but we spend the time with stately triumphs, mirthful comic shows, such as benefits and befits the pleasure of the court. Sound drums and trumpets. 
Farewell, sour annoy. For here, I hope, begins our lasting joy. <laughs>